where I think the real valuable conversation is, is not debating the science because, again, I am a scientist and I can, I can back that shit up with fucking receipts. And that's not going to be a fun debate for anybody. What's the fun debate is what do we actually do about it? Hello there from sunny Miami. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got, I've got some podcasts for you. Oh my God, I've got a rip-roaring discussion with Nathaniel Harmon, aka Nate Hawaii. Now listen, I met Nate in Hawaii earlier this year. I went out there with my family for a holiday, and Danny Boy told me I've got to go meet Nate. So I did. I went and got a beer with him. What a guy. I knew I had to get him on the podcast. Now Nate is an oceanographer. He is also an isotope geochemist. I've got no idea what that is. He's a scuba instructor, a Bitcoiner, and now the co-founder of a company that wants to literally change the planet. Together with his business partner, Michael, they're looking to use Bitcoin to harness the largest untapped renewable baseload energy source in the world, the ocean. Now, it is a vital method for mitigating climate change, whilst also enabling the ocean floor to be mined for huge sources of minerals needed to electrify society. I know, I know, there's a lot here. Honestly, this show is a little bit mental. Uh, about halfway through, we got a drink, we got some whiskey in, and they got a little bit passionate. Some people are going to be a little bit triggered by this. I'm sorry. Well, I'm not sorry. Look, I hope you enjoyed. Anyone wants to reach out to me and wants to discuss this, and if anyone wants to debate Nate, you want to debate Nate, then please reach out. I know Safe Dean has rejected it. I know Alex Epstein has slightly discussed it online. I'm willing to moderate. I'm willing to host. But you got any questions about this? You want to reach out to me? My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. All right. Enjoy this one. Well, I broke the law for him because I bought him a beer uh. and I took it over. <laughs> hey, if nobody asks, it's <laughs> was the, bar the, the, the bar broke the law. They should close that fucking place down. It's irresponsible. <laughs> and that's why we're not going to name them. Not because I don't remember. You don't remember. It was a good bar. Good group of people as well. Oh, Chinatown is fun. Chinatown's a fun place to hang out when, when we did that <laughs> before, baby. Before, baby. <laughs> when we had a little meetup. <laughs> yeah. I'm playing meet up there in Hawaii. It's it was funny because Danny has been saying for ages that he wants to get you on Nate. He's been like, you got to meet this guy. He's fucking amazing. I've spoke to him on the phone. But Danny says that about everyone. Yeah, but we first spoke at the conference, right? <laughs> yeah, I ran into you guys just randomly in the hallway. Yeah, and it's that was such an interesting topic though. Danny Danny says every phone call he's had, they're either amazing or terrible. <laughs> Don't say that because now everyone I spoke to who's not been on the show is going to be like, oh, clearly I was terrible. <laughs> well, I mean, they're going to be thinking that anyway. They didn't get an invite. But but he says everyone's amazing, like, and he does. And then sometimes they turn up and um, I'm like, yeah, they're all right. But but then I bump into you at the conference, uh, sorry, in Hawaii, yeah. but I didn't make the connection that you were the guy he's going on about because we were going to try and get you into the, the US. And then when it clicked for me, I was like, Oh yeah, no, this guy's fucking amazing. <laughs> like, when can we make this show happen? Let's get him on. Let's like, let's light the paper and just let him go. Um, and I'm really glad you took my advice to go to the Big Island. It was the Big Island is. Uh, I wish I'd gone at night. Oh yeah, go Mauna Kea at night on a you know new moon. So one of the only, it's the only place in the U.S. and one of the very few places in the world where you can see the Southern Cross and the North Star in the same field of view. Huh. Um, shooting stars i mean it is yeah the i mean that's why they put the telescopes up there uh you know they have 
I mean, our place in the universe is uh, is named after you know Hawaiian mythology because it was discovered in Hawaii. Like, um, I mean, they have all those telescopes. I mean, it's so far from civilization, so far from land. Um, you know, it's way up in the sky. It's the again the tallest mountain on planet Earth, and uh, you know, it's unobstructed view. Uh, nine months out of the year, no clouds, rarely ever rains. The only, you know, inputs, all the things that live up there are cosmogenic. So they they survive on, you know, basically stardust. The the silver swords just are, are some of the most amazing, you know, plant life on, on the planet. <laughs> aren't, aren't the locals fed up, though, with the amount of telescopes and things? Yeah, there's a yeah, it's a, it's a contentious topic for sure. Um they want to build a new 30 meter telescope and it's a very uh you know, touchy subject. Yeah. It's uh it was interesting to go to Hawaii cuz Hawaii is one of those places that you hear about as a kid and you in your mind Hawaii is like paradise. It's the perfect place so to go there and see it and learn about it. Like even Learning about how, why it's a, a group of islands. Do you know about this? Why there's a group no. of islands? Why they're in the line? Like, I'll try because you explained this to me, and I'll see if I I get it right. But the reason happens there's like a break in the tectonic plates where the lava can come up, mm-hmm. but the Earth is always moving, so those plates are always moving. So it's a bit like uh, have you ever seen it where they make um, Krispy Kreme donuts? Yeah, you know, blop, blop. it's like the reverse of that. It's like pushes up. And then everything moves along and pushes up. Ah. And that's why they follow a curve, right? They follow a, a How straight did I do? line. Yeah, no, that's really good. It's exactly like a donut machine. Yeah. Um, you know, there's it's a straight line, and then there's a dog leg to the right that takes this, you know, it's called the Emperor Seamount chain. You know, it's the Hawaiian Islands and then the northwestern Hawaiian Islands, and then it once they're below the uh, you know, the the ocean surface, it's the Hawaiian Emperor Seamount chain. And it travels straight for a couple thousand miles, and then there's just a sharp, almost 90-degree dog leg up to Kamchatka. Uh, And that was a result of the Indian subcontinent smashing into uh, the Asian, you know, plate and just reorganizing the direction of the the world's tectonics. It's uh, it's, it's crazy. Um, The Hawaiian Islands are great. So our plan was to stay on the whole trip on uh, Oahu. Oahu. Oahu, Oahu, Oahu. Yeah. And Nate here said, no, dude, you've got to go to the big island uh, and you get the island hopper plane. Uh, what you don't know about me is I hate flying. Daddy, what's it like flying with me? It's embarrassing. <laughs> it's, I'm so bad. I'm so bad. Like, uh, where did we fly from? Uh, we went from New York to Nashville, I think it was. I don't think Daddy was, was ready for this. It was no. like that we, we took off and the plane like takes a very gentle left turn and Pete's like looking around, panicking. It was, it's ridiculous. <laughs> why are we turning? Why are we turning? Like, he's like, why can't they just take off and go in a straight line? Well, that's it. Why can't planes <laughs> just go, I'm going here to here. Why, why can't it... Then I understand they have to go around like weather systems, but runways are uh, designed so where the runways are laid are designed based on predominant wind patterns, and so you generally, you know, you don't want to take off or land with a crosswind, right? Yeah, you, you ever seen the planes that yeah, come yeah. in like this? That will knock airport in Ireland. So whenever I go and visit my dad, that that is a crosswind, and coming into land at that airport is is horrendous. It's it's horrible. It's kind of like turning into the wind. Yeah. Um, I've got a few things about flying. Well, firstly, firstly, it is it doesn't help a young man to become confident about flying when your dad is an aircraft engineer 
and won't get on a plane. That is, which by the way, I always tell people as we're taking off, <laughs> that that doesn't help. Um, but secondly, there's this whole weird, you know, Stacey Herbert, Max's wife. Yeah. So me and her have this whole thing. So whenever I'm, on, I'm basically on a plane and it's like shaking like a fucker and I'm panicking, I end up messaging her and then she goes and checks the weather systems and she reports back and she's like, no, no, it's fine. There's a, there's like a storm coming in. Your pilots are going around it all. And she knows everything. She's like, oh, that region, you're definitely going to have turbulence. There's always turbulence there. So she kind of helps me through it but no i'm not i'm not a good fly <laughs> <laughs> my landing here in austin was awful as well we did we we did we circled once coming in oh really and i was like why are we circling like what's going on here mine was really bad yesterday as well i wonder if there was some weird weather or something Fuck knows, man i hate it i hate i hate it i think i'll get to the point where like my dad i'll just never fly again how was your island jumper yeah so yeah that was the point i was getting to they take off quick yeah they take off really quick and they uh, they go like basically go they steep. It's a steep climb, and then it comes straight back down. Yep. It's basically like a very quick roller coaster. You I, go up, you get your juice box, you come back down. Yeah, I didn't like it. <laughs> I did not like it. Well, you should next time you should fly Mokulele, uh, and that you'll shit bricks. <laughs> but I've I've done it. I've been. I, I always force myself to do stupid stuff. Like when we when I flew from Bangkok to Koh Samui. We had the uh, option of going on like a normal plane or one with a propeller, and the pro- I took the propeller one because it was it was going sooner, and I wanted to experience it. I also got on a plane from Finland to Latvia once, where you went you you boarded it through the back of the plane. Mm-hmm. That was weird, and my seat was near the front. I'm like, well, like if there's a problem here, I'm fucked because I'm at the front and. I just oh yeah, Michael. Like uh, Michael says he only sits at the back of the plane because. Statistically, something about uh, <laughs> not not dying the most at the back of the plane, but you know, all of our plane flights are over the the middle of the Pacific. So no matter what, we're, if it's going down, we're all going down. And, and there's no Wi-Fi on that journey. Yeah, uh, except for uh, Hawaiian Pacific uh, teleport. They actually some so some of the flights do have Wi-Fi, and it's through the Hawaiian Pacific teleport, which of course is located in. Hawaii and provides, you know, satellite air, uh, satellite uh, internet service. And I know this because we need satellite internet service in the middle of the Pacific you do. Ocean. <laughs> We're going to get onto that. But no, look, I, I, had a, I had a good time in Hawaii. It's a long way for us to go. Yeah. Uh, um, and we have to fly over the Caribbean to go there. And it doesn't offer much more than the Caribbean in terms of a holiday. Like, if you want to just sit by a beach and relax. Right. So it's a long way. I'm glad we've seen it. But like if I had a choice, probably just go to the Caribbean because no, it's one a, out. It's an active vacation. You know, this yeah. is, um, I mean, last time I went to the big island, I drove 800 miles on that island. Uh, whenever I go there, it's like, oh, you know, let's find a base of operations. And then we're driving 200 miles a day to go, you know, do these hikes, go see these, walk, go to the green sand yeah, beach. Yeah, we saw that. That's cool. Do you take a Jeep out there? Uh, no, we, we just, uh, what did we ever, yeah, no, we had a Jeep. Yeah, we had a Jeep. And you drove that, yeah, I mean, that trail is getting eroded, uh, mm. and there's, uh, you know, a push to make everybody walk the four miles in and four miles out, but it's it's crazy. It's green. Yeah, we went, also, we went to the Rainbow Waterfall. Yep. Which yep. was very cool. Yeah. Um, uh, and there's a whole weird thing, basically. The Rainbow Waterfall is very cool because, um Danny, see if you can do a Google search, tweet at uh, search for at Peter McCormack, and then Rainbow. Mm-hmm. See if you can find the tweets I put out. 
So there's this weird thing, right? When my mum passed away five years ago, uh, in Ireland, they bury you within two days, right? It's just the way they do it. Yeah. So, you know, mum dies, she's taken up to the house, you have a wake at the house, and then you basically, yeah, you found it. So this is really interesting. So <clears throat> we walk out of my dad's house, we carry my mum into the hearse, we get in the hearse, we turn around the corner and see that rainbow? Yeah. That's on the church. <clears throat> okay. So obviously anyone rationally listening is going to go, yeah, it's a pure coincidence. But hey, what a coincidence no, that it's... the morning it's uh, on the church. So the next thing happens, scroll down, Danny. This keeps fucking happening at weird times. Just pause this for a second before you play it. So we decide to, she wanted to have her uh, uh, ashes wow. scattered in the ocean, right? And because my dad won't fly, it's like, where's the furthest we can go in a car? So we decide the south of Spain. But he won't fly. So it, all the family gets on a plane apart from me and my dad. And I'm like, okay, I'll fucking drive. It was a 25-hour drive. Anyway, we get to the south of France. It's a gloriously hot day. We see this, like, golden rainbow. Play it now, Danny. And this doesn't even do it justice. Yeah. But can you see it? I'd never even seen a golden rainbow before. Didn't even know it was a thing. And that, for about 20 minutes, is just going back and forth across the road as me and Dad are driving. Keep going, Danny. Keep scrolling down. And then, like, on my mum's birthday, my sister went over to Ireland and played golf with my dad, and there's a rainbow. Yeah, look, went to see mum's grave today, of course, there's a rainbow. It's so weird how it how it keeps happening, but it's become this thing that's just become important to my family in that some people, my friend Louise, who's a hippie, slightly crazy, she'll be like, no, that's your mum. That's your mum, like, in the universe yeah. talking to you. And my rational friends will go, yes, great coincidence. But what's been really cool about it is as a family in our WhatsApp group, if anyone sees a rainbow, they put it in there, and we go, oh, look, it's mum. And it's just a nice way of keeping yeah. mum's memory alive and keep thinking about her. So going... To Hawaii, going when we saw there was like a rainbow waterfall, it's like we've got to go and see Mum. Anyway, we get there and there's no rainbow. Of course, it's a rainbow. <laughs> so we sit there watching for ages, and just as we're about to leave, bang, one comes out, and it was just beautiful. So yeah. that meant a lot to me. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I mean, that's a beautiful story. Uh, it's, I mean, that's what that's what life is: is keeping the memories of you know our loved ones alive, um, and it's beautiful. What I will say about Hawaii is that. Uh, I wasn't a fan of Waikiki. Oh, God, no, it's awful. I thought I was in LA, basically. Yeah, it's terrible. Don't go. Um, but North Shore was incredible. Yeah. Kids surfed and loved it. Um, but it it reminded me of India in one way, is that, like, I'm not a spiritual person, but but in India and Hawaii, the two places I've really sensed spirituality. Yeah. Like something's going on. There's something magical there. Yeah, and you can feel it, uh, you know, in the mountains, in the ocean. I mean, it's it's truly one of the most magical places on, on Earth. And uh, it's definitely an active vacation. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is. You're telling my, um, what was that story? You're telling my daughter a story about some mythical, I'm going to get this all wrong unless you. Oh, what was the story? A uh, guy from the sea or something? Or... Oh, yeah. Um, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so the Hokulea. Yes. Uh, I was talking, telling a story about the Hokulea. You know, the Hawaiians uh, had discovered uh, open ocean, you know, travel, open ocean navigation, a thousand years before the rest of humanity. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Vikings and all of us northern Europeans were still scrounging around in the dirt for, you know, grubs and and whatever we could find, while these guys were 
actively navigating the Pacific Ocean, not just like the North Sea, but the largest ocean on planet Earth. Um, and it's just, and it, that, that, you know, that technology got lost over time. But didn't they populate the islands of, all the islands near like Australia, like Tonga yeah. and Fiji? The Polynesian and, yeah. Empire uh, is from New Zealand to Hawaii. The Polynesian Triangle is New Zealand to Hawaii to Easter Island. And, you know, there's evidence that they had uh, arrived in North America, you know, a thousand years before, um, uh, you know, the Vikings did or before, you know, Columbus did. Um, and so this, you know, that they had arrived in Hawaii and Hawaii was kind of sort of towards the end of their expansion. And of course, you know, the Pacific's very, very large and communication's difficult. So things naturally fell off and they had their, all the resources they ever needed. Um, and so the technology to uh, do that open ocean navigation got lost generation after generation. I mean, thousand years is a long time. And if you're not, you know, navigating the open ocean anymore, it, it, they didn't have a written language. Um, and so there was this, uh, you know, there was Thor Heyerdahl. He was a Norwegian or something. Um, it, it, yeah, I think Norwegian. Uh, and he, he said, oh, the Polynesians weren't that great. They just accidentally, you know, on, on rafts you know, uh, accidentally landed. And that, that's obviously bullshit. Uh, these guys, you, you, don't, you don't populate the, the entirety of the, every, you know, major island in the Pacific Ocean by accident. Um, and so this group... Michael knows somebody. Yeah. Um, so uh, Nainoa, uh, Uncle Nainoa, is, uh, they sought out to, to demonstrate, to prove, you know, the, the Thor Heyerdahl theory was... It's kind of rooted in racism. Like these guys weren't genius sailors; they were, you know, dumb, lucky people. And that's, you know, I mean, kind of a racist view. Uh, and so they sought to actually recreate this technology that was lost over thousands of years, you know, a thousand years. And they did that. They went out and they found somebody who who still had that knowledge, uh, you know, way off the grid. So they recreated the, you know, the type of ship and uh, probably the greatest watermen who they recruited, you know, all the greatest watermen, probably the single greatest um, was this guy, Eddie uh, Aikau. And, you know, he's... Is he the surfer? Yes. Yeah, I remember. Yes, the big wave surfer. Uh, he, you know, rescued 500 people from the most dangerous break in the world um, up at Waimea. And, uh, you know, the, the largest surf competition in the world is named in his honor. Uh, and so on their, you know, maiden voyage out there on this Hokulea, they were going to, you know, definitively prove that the Hawaiians were active navigators, you know, so no technology, uh, you know, doing it the old school way. They set out um, and, you know, the politics, they, they were throwing this big party for them because it was a big deal and the weather was shit. And so they were like, no, 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 we're having this party. We got all the people here. Every, all the sailors were like, let's, let's not go. Let's not go. It's not, it doesn't look good. Let's, let's just wait a day. Let's wait two days. Uh, and they're like, no, 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 no. The politicians are here. The photo ops. They forced them out a few hours into the voyage. Bang. Bang. There goes their main mast. Uh, 
And so they're floating and, you know, nobody knows where they are and they're already. Um, and so Eddie, he just goes for it, man. Grabs his board, jumps in the ocean to paddle back. Ah, uh, he never made it, but um, that next morning they came and rescued him. So, you know, Eddie is uh, a legend of Hawaii. Absolute legend. There's a great movie uh, called The Waterman. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jason Momoa produced it. And I wanted to watch it on the, me and, me and Michael were working on the plane, but I saw the people ahead. I was like, fuck, I gotta, I gotta watch this on the way home. We got to watch that. It's, it's good. Yeah. You want to find it? Yeah. Is there a trailer? Uh, probably, but we got copyright infringed last time yeah. we had a trailer. So that's <laughs> did we? Like, yeah, yeah. Wait, what was that? Then? Where it was, it follows whatever it was. That movie trailer told us what trailer of. So we got copyright infringed for promoting a movie. Correct. Oh, I'm sorry. It's actually about Duke. <laughs> a, a different surfer, but still watch it. Um, <laughs> okay. That's There's really a, weird because, like, I can understand if you were, we, we were stealing content, but we're, like, helping them. Loads of people messaged me off that and said they watched It Follows. Oh, really? Yeah. But I think they then, they, like, say they own the copyright to that video we published, I think, but I could be wrong. I don't, I don't know how it works. There's a 30 for 30 on on Eddie. Uh, yeah, it's a really, really good 30 for 30 episode. You know, the ESPN series no, about yeah, sports stuffs, and uh, there's, a, there's a whole 30 for 30 on him, and it's... I forget what the name is, but it's like the only 30 for 30 I ever watched. <laughs> well, so I, I liked Hawaii. I want to go back. I want to go and see the other islands at some point. It's more likely something I'll tag onto an LA trip rather than... Uh, right, yeah. I also want to go trip. to that island where uh, the indigenous people live. Uh, and, yeah, you can't, cannot. You got to be invited. They'll uh, they'll kill you, won't they? Uh, I mean, so I, I there's a lot of good diving that you can do. If you're a scuba diver, you can do off the island. And um, so I was out there scuba diving and it's a drift dive, right? You know, you jump in, you sink down, you just kind of float along with the current. Well, one of the divers didn't come up uh, on our dive, uh, and we were supposed to go do another dive. And so I'm, I'm, an, I'm a scuba instructor. Uh, that's what brought me out to Hawaii in the first place 10, 12 years ago. Wow. Uh, and so one of the guys didn't come up. And so we, you know, all of the, you know, instructors on the boat and me as an active, you know, I insured active instructor, we were like, we need to go do re- not rescue, but recovery. Uh, turns out the guy had floated around, um, you know, floated around one of the outer islands and then washed up on shore. And oh, p- they were pissed. I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a big deal uh, that he had, you know, set foot on the on the island uh, and it was it was a you know it made the paper um, is it because they have this active dislike for americans westerners for take or is it just because they have no exposure to the outside world and anyone who comes in, in is a threat i uh, know they have they have active exposure but it was uh the robinson family is it the the, the yeah the robinson family um they, uh, you know, they, they saw what was happening to, you know, the, the indigenous culture uh, and they wanted to carve out a place where it could, you know, stay alive. And, That's cool. You know, the Hawaiian language at one point was almost extinct and now it's back. Uh, I mean, this huge effort to bring this, you know, whole, and now you can get, you can do your entire K through, you know, uh, graduate school entirely taught in the Hawaiian language. And nice. It's a beautiful language, and you know it's. Uh, I'm, I'm glad it didn't, you know, die off. But they kept the culture. Uh, you know, that it was a kind of like kind of like the Ireland of 
of Europe, right? Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's an active, they're actively trying to um, encourage the teaching of Irish in Northern Ireland at the yeah. moment. It, I mean, it's been an ongoing contentious point. You can like uh, start with Wales. I went out to Wales during uh, the COVID lockdowns. It was the only place we could travel to. We couldn't fly, so we booked a caravan in Wales and went out there. And there's certain pubs you go to, they just everyone just speaks Welsh. Which surprised me, even though it shouldn't. Did, did you realise that? Yeah, and I, well, I used to go to like North Wales quite a right. lot. It's not far. And I think it's a big thing in North Wales. I don't yeah. think it's as, as much in the South, but I might be wrong. But it's all in North Wales and they just actively speak the language. You go into the pub, you just can't understand anyone. And that, I just wasn't expecting it. So I was like, ah, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> the Welsh. <laughs> the Welsh. Yeah. It's not even a proper country. <laughs> uh, I'm a Scot. Yeah, are you really? Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. So I'm Irish. Um, We're from... Uh, from um, Sky. Uh, I wow, have nice. family on Sky, um, MacNichol, you know, active clan structure. Um, my uncle's the North American chief uh, of clan MacNichol. And we have a. Um, You've you know, got our, the look now. <laughs> yeah, you can see the, yeah. the Scottish, uh, the red in the beard. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've got the uh, Castle Balvaney, uh, is, is our family. Uh, you know, it's ruins, right? You can't. Nobody lives there. Yeah, yeah. You, you can stop, you know, get a ticket, go take a tour. Like, it's all ruins. Uh, you park at the Glenfiddich Distillery. Um, Did you go there, Jeremy, on your trip? No, Talisker is way more interesting than Sky. Oh, no, yeah. So the castle is in Speyside. Um, but, yes, Tal- yeah, on, on Sky, we have um, Scorybrack is the name of the ancestral home. But we were, you know, uh, Sky was one of the first for the clearances. Uh, right. So we got kicked off of Sky, you know, at, right after the Jacobites, uh, the, you know, the failed Jacobite uh, rebellion. Right. Well, and, so, in, so in Ireland, it's uh, my exposure of having going a lot because my dad lives there, it's spoken less. But when um, I went to Galway, we took a plane out to the Isle of Arran, another little mm-hmm. horrible little plane, <laughs> horrible. Um and there they do speak Irish, but there's like there's not many people there. But they are actively trying to encourage the language to be spoken. But obviously in Northern Ireland where you have the Unionists and the Republicans and they don't agree and mm-hmm. it's a contentious point because the Irish want Irish to be taught in the schools and, you know, the Unionists don't want it. So, like, that is a, a, a problem that they're trying to solve. Yeah. I mean, I think it should be taught and I think it should be optional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to take second languages. What better language than your own? <laughs> wow. Hmm. Mm. Some people say it's not our own. Our, our own is the king's English, but here's what it is. Um, okay, so you've been there, what, 10 to 12 years now? Something like that. So have you, what kind of uh, experience have you had living there with kind of understanding climate change? Has it affected Hawaii? Yeah. In a provable way? to explain it to save some doubters? (laughs) Well, you know, before I came to Hawaii, I was a scuba instructor in uh, the Florida Keys where I experienced uh, my first coral bleaching event. And that that broke my fucking heart. And then when I moved to Hawaii, I saw a lot of the same sort of stuff, you know. I mean, direct, uh, as a scuba instructor, I take these people out to the, you know, the reefs, and then they just kick up, kick all over the coral, knock it over, um, you know, kick sand all over it, which kills the coral. You know, coral is an animal, um, and uh, you know, it's not just it's not it's not a rock; it's an animal, uh, and that animal it lives symbiotically with uh, 
like uh, you know, a phytoplankton, uh, zooxanthellae, that lives inside of it, and the waste products of this plant that lives inside of it, it, it feeds on. Um, and so, you know, the main source of its food is the plant, and the plant's main source of food is the sun. So when you kick sand all over it, it kills the coral, right? So, right. you know, the coral reefs right off of Waikiki have been heavily degraded, you know, year over year, and having, you know, taking people there day after day, looking back at the pictures, you just see how it, year after year, it gets worse and worse and worse. But, um, but that sounds like a tourism problem, not yeah, a climate a, change problem. So the other, you know, my wife does study, um, she she got a paper published about the, uh, you know, what what's with sea level rise, um, what's going to, you know, uh, where where that's going to affect things, you know. She studies specifically wetlands, and over the years, you know, of course, the wetlands have been vastly, uh, you know, have decreased in size. The largest wetland um, in Hawaii is still right behind our house, and it keeps us protected from floods. But if those go, of course, flooding. Uh, you know, Waikiki and that whole, you know, area used to be a giant swamp, Um and, you know, Waikiki means springing water. Um, and, you know, so by putting people people there, now it floods a lot. And Waikiki will be underwater. I mean, you, you already when I lived in Waikiki, and Michael still lives in Waikiki, uh, after, you know, on a king tide, you'll see the, you know, the tide come up on the other side of Waikiki, um, you know, out of the sewers. And it's, I think it's, about 20 years is the, they're not building new, new hotels there specifically because, you know, the payback period for one of these hotels in Waikiki is around 20 years. So there's, if Waikiki is not going to be a suitable location for hotels in 20 years, there's no reason to put up anymore. So the last round of hotels are being built there. Uh, Hawaii is definitely experiencing rises in sea levels because this is something that came up in my discussion with Alex Epstein. Um, and he has various, and if I get, if I misquote him from that interview, I apologize. And please do go back and check the interview and what is actually said. But, and you, you can try and help me here, Danny, but there was a couple of things. He, one of the things he referred to is that, well, we, we must learn to adapt. You know, not too many people live on the coast. I mean, yes, that's fine if you're in the U.S., but oh, all only forty percent of, of all people live on the coast. You well, know, not too many. But like, uh, <laughs> but also, he explained that in some places that the there's like uh, sea levels are dropping. Mm-hmm. So like, we got uh, into that. So that's 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 a low. If he said sea levels are dropping, uh, that's that's bullshit. Uh, the only places sea levels are dropping are places like Alaska. Yeah, that's and, what came up, didn't it? I'm and sure it, right. the reason is glacial rebound. So glacier, glaciers weigh a lot enough to where they can increase the, you know, as they, if they're sitting on a piece of land, it's a lot of extra weight. So they cause, you know, a lot of glaciers cause that land to sink down lower because, of course, the mantle is a you know, liquid rock. And so things float on. We float on top. We're this scum at the top of this big, you know, molten mag, uh, you know, uh, mantle. And so big glacier causes that land to sink down. As those glaciers melt, that land springs back up. Huh. And so that's, it's called glacial rebound. And in fact, actually, even in Hawaii, not all the land is uh, some of the land is rising. So, you know, uh, you, you just mentioned the donut maker earlier. 
well, when, when the, uh, you know, these islands are formed, you know, they're big and hot. And so they're, you know, kind of, you know, hot, hot rock is more, more voluminous. So it has a, you know, a larger volume and it kind of, you know, sinks down and that pushes up. So Maui, Maui is actually coming out a little bit, right? Has a, uh, whereas the, the big island is pushing down, which has this rebound effect on Maui. And so by saying, you know, some places are actually rising, it's a lack of education on how, how the plate tectonics work. It, it seems like just a basic, I mean, I don't want to call out Alex on it, but it seems like a basic understanding of plate tectonics. Well, th- look, the thing about Alex is, is that um, he has been uh, welcomed in by many people in the Bitcoin community. And I think he has shifted some of my thinking as well with regards to, he talks about the rapid, um, he's essentially against the rapid uh, reduction in fossil fuels, and I understand why. And and you can see now in Europe the issues we're having with our energy crisis that he makes a very valid point with regards to that. He makes valid points with regards to... I mean, uh, I I wouldn't... I wouldn't call out Europe as the paragon of renewable energy when it's it's you know the geopolitical uh, struggle over oil right now is caused yeah. it's it's an oil problem or well, natural gas. But yeah, but what I mean is he, he's pointed out the effects, the impact of not having energy, yeah. and you know if you, I think if you're going to transition, you transition right and to the right technologies. And I think there's kind of I don't know what your view on nuclear, but most people agree that. The decommission of nuclear plants is was wrong. Pretty dumb. Yeah, pretty dumb. And that's where we should be focusing technology. But I also, but we do have, you know, with nuclear. I'm a fan of nuclear. Uh, there is not enough fissile material. Um, you know, right now with our current nuclear production, we only have about 80 years worth of fissile material available. Now, there's ways huh. to extend that from, um, you know, pulling it out of seawater, but that is a much more expensive technology. And again, using our current, you know, our current production of nuclear energy, that only extends that life for 35 years. So every new nuclear plant we built, build that 80 years of current, you know, technology gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And so some people... Can you look that up? Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I did not know that. So... And it has, you have the same problem with solar panels, too. People don't understand, you know, and, you know, on the other side, solar panels have this big problem where, where, where are you going to get the lith, you know, solar panels and battery, where are you going to get the lithium? Where are you going to get the cobalt? Where are you going to get the manganese, the copper, the nickel? You know, these things exist in uh, finite, you know, quantities on land. And, you know, it's going to be a problem for Tesla. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially the cobalt, uh, you know, people who say, oh, we can just batteries and batteries and solar. Uh, the cobalt is all sourced from the Congo and these artisanal mines are the, the fancy business. Yeah. (laughs) So this says, uh, roughly 230 year supply. At the current, current consumption rate. Hmm. Scientific American is not the best source, but yeah. Okay. But there is, a, I mean, the point is all of these sources of energy are yeah, finite. They're finite. Whether it's oil, natural gas. I mean, it's not going to affect our lifetime. But, okay, because this obviously is a hot topic in the Bitcoin world at the moment. Yeah. Not only en- energy and climate change separately and as a uh, and, and at the same time being discussed together. 
um, but energy and energy sources. Mm-hmm. But also there is a growing uh, a group of, I would say, people from the left joining Bitcoin who are more actively discussing uh, issues with climate change. Um, I don't know your political position. I don't even care. But what I do know is you're a Bitcoiner and you're exposed to the Bitcoin community. What's your current take on the debate and the debates being ha- having that are having? The reason I ask is like I've brought up a couple of things here, and you've instantly had solid answers. So you see it all. Like, what's your kind of interpretation? What what's been got wrong? What's been got right? I have a master's in uh, my background is I have a master's in marine geology and geochemistry. So I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a so climatologist. I don't call myself a climatologist. I'm an oceanographer or limnologist or, you know, isotope geochemist, depending on what the topic is. I mean, it's a, it was a, you know, all my different specializations have different names that you can, you know, different hats that you put on for different situations. Um, you know, the, the fossil fuel maxis are, which is always so weird. It's the petrodollar. How can you be a fossil fuel maxi? The thing that props up the U.S. dollar, uh, it's just such a hypocritical thing to, to you know, hold up as the, the, the end-all, be-all of energy. The thing that props up the U.S. dollar. You can't be a Bitcoin maximalist, you know, no fiat, no CBDCs. When the thing that props them up, you're simping for. So, um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, you know. Well, I mean, look, look. I know, I know. That's a, that's not a good argument. Well, but. no, but no, I get your point. But I, I think it really comes from a point of polarization, political polarization. Yeah. Like we don't have in the UK polarization with regards to climate change around no. politics. Whether you're on the left or the right, you understand there is an issue with climate change, and that's something that hopefully will get dealt with. Policy or you know uh, or technologies that can be used. Yes, there's plenty of areas for debate, but it isn't. Everyone's on the pretty. You say everyone's on the same page. Pretty much. Is yeah. it the same in Australia? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, I think actually less than the UK. It's probably somewhere between the two. But but at the same time, Ru- Rupert Murdoch has a yeah. has a large outlet <laughs> in Australia. He's got a large outlet in the UK. In the, yeah, everywhere. Um, but I would say we have a growing problem of uh, climate change activists. Or policymakers making poor decisions or doing things which is turning people against yeah. supporting what they're doing. But you, you've you got exposure to it all. What are we getting right? What are we getting wrong? What, like, where's your position on all this? Well, I'm a, I'm a climate scientist. Um, and the position of the scientific community is unanimous and that it's, that it is happening. And, you know, that's the thing about science is we go out and we look for evidence. Um, Scientists don't tell anybody what they need to do. We go out and we gather the data and say, this is what's happening. Now you make that decision yourself. And so, yeah, politicians are are going to politic, right? Yeah. Um, you know, activists don't have, if you don't have a, you know, a scientific background, which most of the people on the anti- Climate change, I just don't understand how basic science is done. I mean, I've been to Mon- Mauna Loa, where the uh, the Keeling curve was was discovered, you know, where the CO2 emissions, um, you know, that graph where the mm. CO2 emissions. We've been taking the same measurements there for 50 years. I've been to Station Aloha, which is, um, you know, this region in the middle of the ocean, 100 kilometers northeast of Oahu, 
And we've been going there month after month on research cruises for the last 30 years, taking the same exact measurements and watching the change. You know, there's no there's no room for for fiat in, to to come in there and put their you know their what whatever their the dirty fiat fingers the, the dirty fiat fingers the fiat fuels like do you mean you you mean petroleum <laughs> sorry sorry I've been reading too much of this this book that I don't want to talk too much about. Well, now no, I want to know what book. Uh, I mean, is it not clear to you, to, to you after that? Is it is it fossil future? No, no, it's safe. It's safe's book. Which one? He has a he has a t- he has a chapter called in the the fiat standard called fiat oh, fuels. See, I, yeah, I haven't read the fiat standard. I've read the Bitcoin standard. Uh, has some good bits. And, and has some, some good bits. Yeah, some absolute bullshit. Uh, you know, I, I, I look at it as like a parable. It te- it tells a good story, and the moral is the yeah. There it is. Okay. Low observatory. We'll come back to safe's book. Um, the key link curve. You know, this is uh, what is this. Explain to the people listening who can't see the chart. That's the carbon dioxide concentration from the second highest mountain on planet Earth. So, so far removed that there is no human impact on that. It's so high up that there's no, you know, crosswinds coming from, you know, L.A. that are diluting it. This is, this is the, you know, the... If the, this is the heartbeat of the atmosphere, and the station Aloha Observatory is the heartbeat of the ocean, it's and, and that so from 1960 to 2015, so in 55 years, it's gone up about 20. Oh, hold on, about 30 percent in a pretty straight. It's like it seems to be just you slightly. You can see the jagged line. Yeah. that's the the difference between the you know summer and the winter. There's a lot more land. Um, in the northern hemisphere, right? You know, you look at a map, all the land is in the northern hemisphere. And so, you know, when when we burn a lot of, you know, fossil fuels in the wintertime for warmth, right. higher. And then when it's, you know, when it shifts to summer, it goes back down because the, you know, the the southern hemisphere is, uses a lot less. It's a lot and I'm assuming there's other people doing these readings all around the world. All around the world. And they all say, that, and it's not just not just these numbers. You know, this is just CO2. This is just like, I mean, this is kindergarten shit. You take people up there and, and kindergartners do this on field trips, right? You know, people make a pilgrimage up there, like, you know, high school students, middle school students, they can all make this measurement. You know, the real measurements are actually the... Um, the Delta 13C, you know, the isotopes. And that's really, you know, this is like, that's just straight carbon dioxide, but it's the isotopes, uh, the isotopic rec- record that really has that fingerprint of humanity because, you know, not all carbon is the same. There's different flavors. Carbon 12 is the one we know the best, has, well, it weighs 12, right? Uh, all carbon has, um, you know, six protons. Uh, the amount of neutrons is kind of arbitrary, right? Not all, you know, isotopes are stable, but of the stable isotopes, carbon-12 and carbon-13 are the most important. 13 obviously has, you know, six protons, but seven neutrons. So it weighs a little more. And it turns out that life, things that are living, that makes a big difference, right? The energy required to form bonds with carbon is proportional to the, you know, the weight, Um You know, imagine walking around with a backpack, uh, you know, an empty backpack, your carbon-12, and then sticking a bunch of bricks in your backpack. That's carbon-13. Which one are you going to prefer? You know, if if it's between you and Danny, who gets to wear which backpack and have to walk around for the rest of your life? To be honest, uh, 
Danny's been carrying me for a long time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he's carrying you yeah. and the back. Yeah, so I probably owe Danny one. Carbon okay. 25. And okay. so, you know, uh, fossil fuels come from, um, you know, living matter, right? I, I remember it. Oh, God, I was listening to one of the interviews that was safe and Alex, and they were talking shit about wetlands and swamps. And it's like filthy swamps. Like, where do you think fucking coal comes from? You, you, you dingleberry? Like, <laughs> where does coal come from? It comes from swamps. Like, you know, 300 million years ago, but fucking swamps. And so, you know, those plants that lived in the swamps, uh, you know, disproportionately uptake that lighter carbon over the heavier car, that carbon-13. And so they took up that extra carbon, and then when they got buried, they took it with them. And so that changed the isotopic content of the CO2 in the atmosphere, and we can measure that. And so now what we're seeing is, you know, the that, that, that isotopic content, that delta-C13 ratio, shift down because we're, we, we're putting that, uh, you know, that lighter carbon back into the atmosphere. And that's the fingerprint. It is unambiguous. It is humans putting that in. There's, it's not rocks because rocks don't give a shit, right? Rock don't care. Rock do what rock do. Uh, <laughs> geology is, you know, geology, there, there, there's not much art in geology. It's, this is a rock. It's going to do the thing that a rock does. You know, life, 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 life is weird. All right. So, we're definitely increasing the carbon in the atmosphere. Yes. That is unambiguous. Yes. And you can't debate that. Uh, but does having more carbon in the atmosphere definitely change the temperature? Yes. Tell me how. Like, <laughs> I'm, being the, I'm being the doubter here. Like, I believe you. So, uh, carbon dioxide, right? Uh, one carbon, two oxygens, right? Uh, this is a, you know, it's a, it's a linear molecule because the there's a double bond. How deep do we want to go into Dude, the science? We've got, have you got to go anywhere? <laughs> we should have got a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> there you go. That's what we should have done. I can go right now. Two away. You can go. We'll carry on. Scotch. Scotch. No, fuck that shit. I'm a bourbon guy. <laughs> I can't drink scotch. <laughs> if they have Talisker. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's get some whiskey on. Let's go. But no, so, you know, carbon dioxide's a do you know why, Do you know why I care? It's because, like, I don't retain knowledge well. I'm more creative, right? My entire career has been creative storytelling or getting people to tell stories. This is why I can never remember what the fucking X-Pub is, because I can read it, I just don't retain the knowledge. And I'm always reading about climate change and seeing, you know, and trying to understand it and reading the scientific papers, but I don't retain it. But I'll have someone like Alex on my show, and I just don't have the ability to debate him correctly right um but i do want to give him the, the the time so therefore hearing from you and having you explain it i mean i should just get, get you to sit down with him and have a conversation well, i'm supposed to debate someone they're not they're being a little weasels he's up uh is safe it yeah we'll get we'll get to safe <laughs> oh god uh we'll talk about safe in a bit um, so carbon dioxide yeah. is a linear molecule you know because the um you know there's that double bond between both you know the carbon and the two oxygens right and so there's different modes of freedom, and uh, you know it can wiggle, right? So when you uh, and, and it likes to wiggle at a very specific frequency. Think like a like a guitar string, right? You know, you, you tighten the guitar string, and it makes the same, you know, the D or the G or the A, uh, and it and it's based on the wiggle. 
So different bonds have different wiggles, and they like to wiggle at that one frequency, right? So when, you, when something strikes it with that same frequency that it likes, it responds, right? Um, and in general, the one that really matters is the, uh, the twisting and the bending. Uh, the, uh, there's symmetrical and asymmetrical, uh, but those aren't necessarily super important. Um, but though the major one uh, happens to wiggle at the in the IR frequency, infrared radiation frequency. And so what a lot of people don't understand is that the heat that we feel here at Earth on, you know, on the surface is not necessary is not directly from the sun. It's actually, you know, the sun strikes the earth and black body radiation says that, you know, any that the earth will then re-radiate that energy that it's given. So, you know, the sun is very hot, so it has uh, you know, the frequency of the energy comes off of it is a lot shorter wavelength and when it strikes the Earth, the Earth is much cooler than the Sun, so it has a longer wavelength than the IR spectrum. It turns out that the you know the that wiggle in the CO2 and of course in methane and all the other greenhouse gases, right? They all take up uh, you know they all like that general. Um, they all absorb energy really well in that range that the Earth puts out, and so you know as the the Earth radiates the energy from the sun back up. Well, the carbon dioxide absorbs that energy, which is supposed, you know, coming going straight up, right? If it was, uh, you know, if that carbon dioxide wasn't there, that energy would just fly straight up, right? Right. You know, because the sun hits the Earth and the Earth radiates in a, you know, circular, uh, you know, away from the circle. So we're just retaining the heat. And now it's that's a good thing too, because if that carbon dioxide wasn't there, it'd be like minus 19 degrees Celsius all, all day long. So we need some. We, we need, need the some. balance. Yeah. And so it's about how much. And, you know, what it does is it just f- keeps filling up. It keeps where that carbon dioxide is. It slows that energy transfer down because the Earth has to radiate the same amount of energy it takes up. It has to re-radiate that to space. Otherwise, of course, we'll boil. And so what more carbon dioxide does is it slows that transfer of energy down. And we can, of course, record this from space by looking, you know, just taking a spectrometer, saying, hey, this is what the sun's putting out. Hey, this is what the Earth is putting out. Turns out we're about 5%. uh, 5%. We should be you know, in order to get that, uh, you know, kind of static where we're putting out as much as we're taking in, we're about 5% lower than that. And so that's where the energy, and it keeps going up and up and up and up. And that means there's more heat here. You know, we're just retaining more heat. Which means polar ice caps melt. And not just, you know, that's that's only one component of uh, sea level rise. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the density of water is dependent on its temperature and salinity. So uh, when it's warmer, it expands. It's warm as it's warm, it it expands. So the you know the polar ice caps, uh, if they all melt, it's like thirty feet of sea level rise. If uh, at that same temperature where they all melt, well the <laughs> the water expanding, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's 300 feet. And what's cool about living in Hawaii is 
we see this all the time. We can, you know, on, there's a number of hikes that you can do where you can just look up 300 feet and go, oh, that's a bunch of fucking coral in the air. Huh. Hmm. Because the, you know, the sea level was hundreds of, and that, I mean, that would be devastating to all life. It's like we were, you know, talking about uh, before we, with the Mississippi, right? If the Mississippi River was allowed to shift, that would just completely fuck over our uh, inland transportation network, you know, using the rivers, the navigable mm. rivers of the U.S. Well, a 300-foot higher sea level would devastate our ability. 300 or 30? Uh, with the with thermal expansion of the ocean, we're talking 300. Hold on. So, How much habitable <clears throat> Earth is left after that point? A lot. Yeah. I mean, it would push in. I mean, obviously, Florida's gone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Florida, who needs it? <laughs> I li- lived in Florida for a while. I like it. I lived in the Keys. Um, I like it. I, I'm not going to talk too much shit about Florida. But, but, but we will lose a number of nations. Yep. Okay. Yep. And Low lying Pacific nations, which, you know, are, are, are a big deal. This show is brought to you by Ledger. Now, recent events have highlighted just how important self-custody is. And Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you as a Bitcoiner to take control of your Bitcoin and the world's most popular hardware wallet just got better. Ledger have recently announced the launch of the new Nano S Plus. The larger screen makes it easier to manage and verify your Bitcoin transactions. And the Nano S Plus maintains the same high level of security as all other Ledger products. Now, I have been a Ledger customer since 2017, and I absolutely love the S Plus. Now, if you want to find out more, if you want to check this out, if you want to purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R dot com. Next up, it is Big Casino. So they are now running a very cool competition where you can join me at the North London Derby, Arsenal v Tottenham, hopefully to see Arsenal absolutely spank Tottenham. Now they have created a Bitcoin box at the Emirates Stadium and they're going to be giving away two tickets to the match. It's on October the 1st and to find out how to enter, just check out their pinned tweet at twitter.com forward slash bitcasinoio. That is twitter.com forward slash B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O-I-O. Also, please remember to gamble responsibly. Next up today, we have Ledin. Now, from savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of holding today without selling their Bitcoin. With the recent events in the lender market, Ledin demonstrated that their robust risk management strategy was the right approach. They don't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation and have experienced zero losses as a result of their strategy. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. And not only Ledin are a sponsor, I am also a customer of theirs now. I am using their services. So if you want to find out more, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D. N.io. And also today we have the Pacific Bitcoin Conference hosted by Swan Bitcoin on November the 10th and 11th, 2022 in sunny Los Angeles. Now I've known Corey, Yan and Brady for years and they've been pulling out all the stops to make the Pacific Bitcoin Conference a celebration of the Bitcoin community. I'm going to be emceeing the conference alongside my friends Natalie Brunel and Stefan Avera. And there's going to be an incredible lineup of speakers, including Lynn Alden, Alex Gladstein, and Preston Pish. 
Now, Pacific Bitcoin is going to be the right mix of education and good fun with unique experiences. They've got a surfing simulator and loaded with other events and parties before and after the event. They're bringing the brightest minds in Bitcoin to discuss a range of topics from macro to nation estate adoption, mining and lightning. And you're not going to want to miss this inaugural Pacific Bitcoin conference. I know it's going to be a special event. Now, Swan are offering a huge 30% discount to listeners of the show. Just go to PacificBitcoin.com and use the code PETER at checkout. That is P-A-C-I-F-I-C-B-I-T-C-O-I-N.com and use the code PETER. Okay, so that is one. But, but there's, there's numerous issues with climate change that come. Um, so when you see this discussed within the Bitcoin community, uh, like I'm... I'm I'm no good as somebody to debate this. I don't have the expertise, but I feel like we are sometimes shooting ourselves in the foot with trying to expand Bitcoin into other communities when we get this so fundamentally wrong. And you you're saying we're getting it fundamentally wrong. Yeah, yeah. So what should be done though? Because okay, you you flew over here. Yep. You got on a plane. You're in a car. Yep. Yada yada. And I'm the same. I'm a complete hypocrite. Um, what should and can be done? Like, what is the conversations within the circles you're within? Because it's very clear that there are issues with solar and wind. Yes, they can support and add to the mix, right? But there's clear issues. Yeah, There has been an issue with the uh, the green lobby essentially destroying the nuclear industry. But yep. and, but also, you, you said that's finite. So like, oh, don't get me started. I'm not a fan of the Sierra Club, not, not a fan of Greenpeace. I mean, these guys are all, all on the take. Um, so what can be done? Like what should be done? What, that's, that's the question we need to ask ourselves, uh, as a, as a, you know, as the human race, what, what should we do? Um, because if doing nothing leads to billions of death and doing something leads to, you know, a billion deaths, what, what's the, what is the right answer there? A claim um, of a billion deaths is something somebody would jump jump on your phone and say, hold yeah. on a second. What evidence do you have that this will lead to a billion deaths? We've had lots of claims before uh, in the past that haven't come true. Yeah. And that's an issue. So are you just saying that as a passaway comment or do you actually believe that will happen? Because could it, you, know, you have to, you have to define the death? timeline, yeah, right? I'm, so what is the timeline for those for those deaths? Now that's something I can't, I'm not going to, you but know. what causes predict. those deaths? Because if, if climate Break change is... Breakdown in supply lines, food production, water, uh, just straight up flooding. Uh, you know what? Ha- what happens when a billion people at the coasts need to migrate? Where do they go? How does that affect your nation? I mean, I know in in the U.S. Uh, there's a huge anti-immigration. Well. What happens when there's a billion people knocking on the doors? I mean, at least China built all the ghost cities that they could put people in. You know, you look at the distribution of land on planet Earth, it's all in the Northern Hemisphere. And so if the, you know, vast, vast uh, stretches of the equator become uninhabitable, where do those 40% of all people live in the tropics? 40% of all humanity lives in the tropics. And if we change, if we start fucking with the water cycle, and if we start fucking with where they live and they their land gets flooded, where do they go? And the only answer is they go north. 
Okay, so the big question is, what can we do? But like, have you, what should, what or should, should we, we do? do? And have you thought about this deeply? Have you yeah. discussed this? Yeah, uh, I mean, that's why I started OceanBit with uh, my partner, Michael. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I looked at this from, I started small. Um, I started looking at it from, okay, well, Hawaii, we have this, you know, law to, that says we have to reach 100% renewable energy by 2045. And so I started looking at, how do we actually do that? (laughs) Because Hawaii is a very unique place. Uh, Unlike, you know, many other places, we don't have the land. So, you know, I looked at what what it would look like to replace just a single, you know, the Kahe uh, uh, power plant over at, on the west side. There's like electric beach. There's some reefs there. There's a big power plant there. Uh, has about you know 600 megawatt capacity. How's it generating? Oh, it, fossil fuels. Okay, uh, petroleum. I've been snorkeling there, and you can go out to the vent, and it's like super hot water comes out, and all the fish hang around it. And you can swim into the vent, and it'll push you. It'll shoot you right back out. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Michael was there the other day uh, snorkeling. Uh, no, it's a great snorkel scuba spot around there too. It's that fun. reminds me of that place I went to in Oahu. This is, is it the Spitting Cave? The Spitting Cave. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's incredible. Oh, let me show you the videos afterwards. Yeah. Did you hear about this? It says the Spitting Cave. You go up there. You know like, what the hell is this on about? And somehow the way the uh, the coastline is eroded, there's this kind of like cave. That's it's like a blowhole kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so the water shoots it, and it just flies out. It's like yeah. incredible. I mean, I don't see anything like that in Bedford. So <laughs> for me, it was amazing. We don't have much in Bedford. But I looked at, you know, I I did this analysis for the state of Hawaii, uh-huh. um, how we can actually achieve that, and, uh, you know, just replacing that one, what it would look like to replace just that single 600-megawatt petroleum power plant. Uh, and so I looked at, of course, solar. Well, the problem with solar is that we don't have the land for solar. Unlike other places that can just willy-nilly bulldoze, you know, pavement up a big stretch of land to do that. We our land is sacred. Yeah, uh, you can't just do that. Uh, we don't we don't have the vast stretches of land for that giant solar. It turns out you would need a solar plant that's six t- or four times the size of the international airport. It's a big airport. Uh, you need four of find four of those somewhere, and then about a billion dollars worth of batteries. I think all told is six, five or six billion dollars to do that. So okay. that's that's a no. There's no land for the solar anyway. Then you look at wind, right? Well, we have a hard enough time putting up new windmills anyway. Again, it's the land thing, uh, and our migratory birds, right? Um, and so you have to start looking offshore, and turns out you would need a offshore wind farm the size of Oahu just to replace the one power plant. Um, nuclear, as great as nuclear is, we don't have siting for it. Uh, there's no evacuate. Where, where, where are you going to go if there's a Fukushima? Where, where, where are you going to go? Yeah. <laughs> you get a crowd on the other side of the island? Well, then the, the nuclear fallout's just going to come kill you there. Uh, do, do you have um, weather events that seem kind of like uh, flash floods from the sea, like tsunami? 
type events. Tsunamis, yeah. sure, are a thing. Uh, you know, flash floods everywhere. Because that's um, the problem with Fukushima. It's too close to the coast, right? They have to be. They yeah. have a lot of water needs, right? It takes a lot of water to cool those things down. And so you have to be next to a giant body of water. Right. Uh, so you have to be, you know, siding on the coast. It has to be a certain distance away from a population center. And we're on an island. You can't put a nuclear. De- yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't have uh, we don't have any rivers for you know hydro, and pumped hydro is something that they're doing on the uh, the island of Kauai. And well, you know, the question is, which mountaintop do we remove on Oahu? And good luck getting that through public review mm-hmm. and public comment. And so that's you know, and the geothermal that we have is on the Big Island, and people are not happy about that anyway. Already, they're not happy about the only one that's over there. And then you have well, not only is Hawaii its own grid, each island is its own separate grid, and so they're not connected. You know, Maui and Oahu and the Big Island are all separate grids. So you know. You'd have to build this long-ass cable between the Big Island and Hawaii and or and Oahu, and the people would just, you know, the indigenous community would not be very happy about siphoning the resources of the Big Island to support Waikiki, or you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of animosity between, especially against Oahu. Um, and so the one thing that stood out in all of these renewable portfolio report, standard reports is there was always this footnote um, that this technology, ocean thermal energy conversion, could theoretically provide much, much greater than 100% of all of Oahu's needs, and it requires no uh, you know, land footprint at all, and it's been around for 100 years. What is it? Oh. The Balvaney. Oh, Wow. Yes. What do you got there as well? Uh, Texas beer for Dan. I'm gonna have a beer. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm. I'm just gonna say I don't like Scotch whiskey. You don't like Scotch? No, I don't. I don't. I'm a bourbon. But but these are made with bourbon casks, so you don't get the harshness of the tannins of the All wood. Right, I'll have a little bit. <laughs> I'll have a little bit. Then I might be a bit. I wasn't gonna drink today. Danny's fault. You're the one that sent Jeremy out. <laughs> Still Danny's fault, <laughs> even though it's my idea, and I sent Jeremy, and I'm gonna have them. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know there was this OTEC thing stood out, and of course, as a marine geologist and geochemist, um, I love that bottle. That is pretty. What is um, what is this OTEC technology? Explain to me how it works. So it's a it's a heat engine. Um, you use the difference in temperature between warm surface water in the tropics and deep cold water, you know, about 800 to 1,000 meters below the surface of the ocean. And you can run a heat engine off of that. You know, you, uh, you have a working fluid, in our case, um, ammonia, and um, an ammonia and water mix. Um, it's a binary fluid. Thank Cheers. You. To the Celts. Aloha. Aloha. Oh, that's the good shit. 
My uncle's official title is the Baron of Balvaney. Do you know the ones I I don't I don't like the PD. You know the ones PT tasted ones. Oh, those are the best. Oh, I think they're gross. Those, those are the best. I, I I like my my whiskey to taste like a like, like a, a f- candy store that was lit on fire. Like <laughs> uh, that's that's the flavor that I go for. I think it tastes like a foot, <laughs> an ashtray. Yeah. Uh, you ever had one? Uh, yeah, I fucking hate it. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> Somebody bought me a really expensive one once, and then they wanted to drink drink it with me, and I, I didn't want to say I didn't like it, so I just had to keep drinking. It's gross. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. So that got a bit distracting there. Can we kind of start again with some of that? <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> We're so unprofessional. Again, it's your fault. You're the producer. <laughs> but can you? Yeah, can you just start again with like what this technology is and what it does? So ocean thermal techno- ocean thermal energy conversion is a uh, just another method. It's kind of like geothermal, which uses the thermal energy of the Earth. This is ocean thermal. It uses the thermal energy of the ocean. So at the tropics, the sun, you know, is dead on, right? Uh, you know, hitting, striking it all day, every day. It warms up the water at the surface. And the natural flow of of deep water is such that it's, you know, at about 800 to 1,000 meters below the surface, it's freezing cold, 4 degrees Celsius. And so you can, anytime you have a, a difference in temperature, you can extract energy from that. You have a warm source, a source of heat, and a, a sink for that energy, for that heat. Um, but how? How does it? So you, it's a Rankin energy. cycle. Uh, you use a working fluid. In our case, we use a binary fluid of a combination of water and ammonia. And so, you know, ammonia boils with the that you know the the warm surface water, and then you you know as it boils, it turns into a gas and vapor and flows through a turbine, and then you use that cold freezing cold water to condense it condense it back to a liquid, and just run it. Big old loop. Okay. Very so. It's the it's the the original engine. Uh, you know, it's the engine technology has been around for since the beginning, and this uh, you know OTEC is 141 years old. So why is it not being used? So it's the first plant was built in the 1930s in Cuba, and. Well, the 1930s was not a great time for renewable energy. The discovery of oil in the Middle East kind of put the kibosh on a lot of renewable energy projects. So it was kind of shelved for a while. Um, And then, you know, Hawaii came back. There's this, we have this list of all the different plants that there have been about 14 different plants built over the last hundred years. You know, the first one in Cuba, and then there've been three or four built in Hawaii, but they've all been on the small research end. And, you know, this tech, it's, it's a, it's the most basic fucking, it's plumbing. It's not rocket science. It's not like nuclear energy. It's basically, it's just a series of tubes. (laughs) It's, it's literally just a series of tubes. But you've got to go out into the ocean and do it. Uh, so it can be done on land. There's two. There's two options: a land-based, and then. But once you start getting into the large scale, uh, it really makes the most sense to do this on the ocean, on a on a platform, an offshore platform. So it's a floating plant. It's a floating plant ship. So if I say plant, I'm referring to a plant ship, rather than you know what you think of on land as a plant. And why can that generate so much energy? 
the ocean is very big and that's a lot of surface area for, you know, it's a, it's a solar powered uh so you have to build so, so the plant the size of the plant will reflect how much energy you want to yes. extract. Right. You know, it's proportional to how much water you take up. So, you know, think of a 100 megawatt plant which could power 100,000, 150,000 homes um is going to be about the size of uh, we're, since we're all for everybody after the uh, the you know the Panama Canal disaster, we're all familiar with ship sizes yeah. now. It's about that size. That 100 megawatt is about the size of the ship that you know crashed in the Panama Canal. And then, so how do you get that energy? From, or sorry, the Suez Canal. Yes, how do you get that energy from there to land? So there are for the last hundred years, there have been sort of uh, two ways that have been thought of to do this. Um, there is the Direct cable connection, right? You know, high voltage cable. Something like this in Hawaii would be about 10 kilometers off the coast. So you have a 10 kilometer long cable. The other option is a grazing option um, where it's, you know, with a with a with a connected plant, you have to have a mooring to keep it in place, right? You can't have it floating around. Um, because it it doesn't really need to touch the bottom of the ocean, right? It's Basically, just a big straw <laughs> to a thousand foot. It's a big straw. It's a thirty foot diameter straw. It's a big fucking straw, but it's a straw nonetheless. Um, so you have the connected version with a mooring, and then the grazing option is just a free floating platform that you use to, you know, uh, it's called the uh, Lockheed coined the term any energy carrier plant, where they would produce, uh, you know, ammonia on board or, you know, hydrogen uh, that could be transported anywhere, right? So you do this in the middle of the ocean, you know, you're cutting capex, uh, you know, you don't need the mooring, which deep water moorings take forever to get. That cable is expensive, and you have all this extra overhead of being on land and being close to land. So the grazing option is cheaper. I still don't understand it. So you generate the energy. Yep. Are you storing it and then sailing it back to the? So in the grazing option, or not the grazing, in the energy carrier, you use that energy uh, to generate uh, green, you know, hydrogen, hydrogen fuel, and then you convert that to ammonia by the. Um, Haber-Bosch process. Uh, and then you take that, then a ship comes by, gets takes that ammonia to wherever it's needed, and then you can use that as fuel somewhere else. And, and what fuel do you use that? Can you use that to generate? Energy, yeah. Energy. How do you use ammonia to generate energy? Well, you turn it back to hydrogen. And then how do you turn hydrogen to energy? Uh, fuel cell, like, you know, the hydrogen cars, you know, that, that's that's one of the big pushes. But how, how advanced is the hydrogen tech? Uh, fuel cells to generate? Not very. Yeah. So this, um, so this was this theoretical. Okay. This was this was purely theoretical at the time. I'm going to ask something, but I think I know the answer. Is the answer to this in Bitcoin? Because <laughs> yeah. it goes back to Sailor's point. So if you if you go out there, if you take a bunch of ASICs, you can mine Bitcoin. Yep. You can send that Bitcoin. Transport it back to Trans- land. Well, it's, you don't have it, to transport. You don't have to. It's already yeah, there, right? You yeah. just stick the address. You know, the address yeah. in the uh, the block. And then, how do you convert that Bitcoin into then energy? Oh, you don't. You don't. You convert it into financial capital, right? And so the problem, but that doesn't solve the energy. This is great for Bitcoin mining, but it doesn't solve the 
the the need for renewable energy. So the problem with OTEC is not is not it's not a technological problem. It's very simple. Again, it's not rocket science. It's plumbing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the problem is not you know at scale, hundred megawatt, four hundred megawatt plant sizes. Those are connected to land because the cable and the mooring make up a very small portion of the budget. The problem is that all of the research that's been done and all the plants that have been built are on the small scale. And so scaling this technology from you know, 100 kilowatts, which is the size of the plant built on the, the, this last plant built on the big island of Hawaii, to 400 megawatts, you can't go straight. You need to build somewhere in the middle, right? You need to build a, a pilot plant that's, you know, of sufficient scale to prove that it works at large scale. Okay, I get it. And so the problem with this 10 megawatt plant has been, well, if you hook it up to land, that cable, um, you know, that mooring make out make up an outsized portion of the budget. And it and so what happens is once you start adding that cable in and the mooring and the ten years worth of cost, you end up with a LCOE cost of energy being around fifty cents per kilowatt hour. And we pay in Hawaii forty four cents per kilowatt hour, and so even at our you know current cost of energy, that's still too high, especially for something that you would need to pay for for thirty years. Now, with the grazing option, you cut all this CapEx, you can stand it up faster, but before Bitcoin, there was never a way to make money in the middle of the ocean. You know, it, these 10 megawatt size isn't necessarily for the energy, it's to it's more for the technology. And I get it. ding, ding, ding. You take a bunch of miners out there, a bunch of ASICs, yep. and that is going to reduce the cost for you to build your proof of concept. And once you've built the proof of concept... You can you can it's off to the races. Yeah, yeah. You, the ten megawatt plant size only needs to generate a single kilowatt hour of energy. That's it. How many of these plants would you need to power all of Hawaii, all the islands? Uh, it would end up being about six. Six, six would power all the islands. Uh, yeah. Well, Oahu is about six. You add right. in a, another one per island because the other islands generate. So on Oahu, we take uh, it's about. 2000 gigawatt or megawatts of uh you know energy and then the other islands have about 200 megawatts each. Hmm. So where are you at with this? If, like when when you actually have you started construction? So where we are our plan right now is to take over the 100 megawatt our partners are Makai Ocean Engineering who built and constructed that 100 kilowatt plant on the Big Island. So we need to and so what's nice about Bitcoin and OTEC is that it's not just the energy part, right? That's, that's kind of been the, um, the MO of, uh, you know, Bitcoin miners for the last, you know, for the, you take the miners, you put them in a container, you co-locate that container next to an energy source. Um, well, our plan isn't to just co-locate these things next to, it's to actually integrate those Bitcoin miners into the energy generation process in a full cycle integration or something I call the Harmon cycle. (laughs) 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 Uh, And it's, you know, because it's, um, you know, the, that Delta T of the OTEC cycle is so low, right? You know, you can get in the water. Uh, It happens to have a lot of overlap with the heat output of these Bitcoin miners. 
So what you can do in this full cycle integration, you can generate, you know, generate the energy with the OTEC cycle, put that energy into the Bitcoin miners, reuse that heat to stick back into the OTEC cycle to improve its efficiency, and then you can cool the work. It has to be done with an immersion fluid, and then you can subcool the immersion fluid with an infinite supply of freezing cold water. So you get the the, the cold, you get the you know the cooling for free and the energy, and it including Bitcoin makes it more efficient. Yeah. You can't do it any other way. It's fucking genius. <laughs> and that's why Mackay partnered with us. Richard? <laughs> okay, so like, where are you at though? Like, what can you tell us about where you're at? Like, from your concept, like, at what point will you be, how far away are you from actually mining Bitcoin in the ocean? So we have to, nobody's ever, nobody's ever built Bitcoin into an energy cycle, so we have to prove that out. First things first. So the plant on the Big Island was built actually to test the uh, the heat exchangers for F-35s. You know the new the new Navy. Mm-hmm. You know the new military aircrafts that they're pretty awesome. Um, it was built to test the heat exchangers that went into them. Mackay built those heat exchangers, and so it's this testing facility. So we want to test this out to actually constrain those numbers uh, to a reasonable point, and that's the. St- that's the stage we're at. We're refurbishing it. It's been mothballed since the F-35 was finalized. So we have to, you know, it needs some new parts. It hasn't been run in a while. It needs a new turbine. So we're getting some new parts, and we're going to refurbish that starting next next year uh, around, what is it, summer? Yeah, summer. Around summer, we'll have the refurbishment all done. And we're going to actually demonstrate the heat reuse, the Harman cycle, the mm-hmm. efficiency, and then from there, we will construct a um, component prototype. So what's nice about working, we're, gonna, we're obviously going to go with the grazing concept. We're not going to hook this thing up to land. We're yeah. going to consume all an Ouroboros sort of setup where it consumes all the energy that it produces. Um, and so what's nice is we are going to, you know, in this grazing concept, we can take this thing anywhere in the world. So we're going to go seek the highest delta T on planet Earth. Uh, and of course, that's close to the equator. Um, delta T being the difference between the surface yeah, yeah. and the deep water temperature. Yeah. And so in Hawaii, you know, we're Keep at up. the. <laughs> Just clarifying. Keep up, Daddy. <laughs> we're towards the northern bounds of the OTEC zone in the tropics in Hawaii, right? Uh, we're 21 degrees north, and that's kind of the upper limit of. And our, you know, our sea surface temperature year-round is around 26 degrees C. And there's places that you, we can go at the, close to the equator that are 32 degrees C. And so that's 6 degrees C. The way that you, know, you generate energy is um, the amount of energy you produce scales with the square of the delta T. So each degree of extra heat, you know, of, uh, of temperature you have has an outsized impact. So taking a plant from here in Hawaii and moving it to the equator you could theoretically generate 70% more energy with the same equipment. Wow. So, of course, we're going to do, we have to do that yeah, to make the economics work at all at a 10 megawatt scale. And so, we're first going to construct, uh, you know, what's nice about the equator is there's no hurricanes at the equator. It's called the doldrums for a reason. Um, hurricanes don't cross. Uh, Why is that? Well, the Coriolis effect and the, 
The earth you is... say that like I should understand. Keep up. <laughs> Keep up. <laughs> Go on, Danny. Can you explain the Coriolis effect. I don't know the Coriolis effect, but I assume it's because there's not a big enough temperature differential to create it, right? That's this. You know. Um... You know how uh, uh, no, toilets spin one. To- is, is, is he yeah, right? We're, we're talking to Danny. So you know how <laughs> toilets spin one way, and then this isn't true. The toilets spin one way in the northern hemisphere yeah. and the other way in the southern. Is that not true? That? No, it's not true because it's not enough space. It's uh, it has to be over a long, a long distance. Uh, huh. And so hurricanes. I always thought that was true. No, that's bull. That's bull design. So if it's true, it's bold design. Bold design is is more is the more uh, important yeah. factor in the spin. Wasn't that like Home Alone or something? Yeah, probably something like that. Some bullshit. Yeah. But hurricanes do. Okay. And so it, you know, I mean, this this isn't the exact way, but you can think of it like this: If hurricanes spin one direction in the northern hemisphere, and they have to spin another direction in the southern hemisphere, just based on the way that the Earth spins, right? Well, if they try to cross, they have to stop. And then turn the other way, which, of course, they can't. They die at that point. Yeah, I thought it was that. And so (laughs) what we can do is instead of, um, you know, that 1930s plant built in Cuba, a few months into operation, got hit. Now, and so now, of course, everybody hurricane-proofs their plants, right? So that that doesn't have, scientists tend to learn from their mistakes. Engineers especially learn from their mistakes. They don't make the same mistake twice. So let's fast forward. You've built the proof of concept. It works. Uh, there is a desire to then build these, uh, not for Bitcoin mining, actually to provide yep. the energy source for Hawaii. But, you know, Hawaii can be hit with uh, extreme weather. These ships can move maybe. When well, weather? you would just, so when the hurricane comes, uh, you just drop the deep water pipe. That's the only part that can really break. So you just drop that for a few days until it subsides, and then you rehook back up, and you, you're on your way. But so in those scenarios, you would need backup generation of energy well, during a hurricane. I mean, I, I don't know how many hurricanes you've been through, but my power always goes out in hurricane anyway. <laughs> I mean, I've not been in any. I live in the UK. So. <laughs> I was reading the other day though that there's some homes in Florida they reckon will be without power for weeks. We don't Same with Puerto Rico. Yeah. Uh, I have solar panels on my house, um, and those don't work obviously in the middle of a hurricane either. So we don't get extreme. We get we get a little bit of wind sometimes, and sometimes some like roof tiles fall off people. There's like a meme that goes around when it's it's quite windy in the UK. <laughs> Someone will take a photo of like a a bin that's fallen over, and they'll say we will recover <laughs> or we will rebuild or like a garden chair tipped over. Yeah, <laughs> we will. Well, we can we'll save a lot of money yeah. by not having to hurricane proof our you know okay. ten megawatt demonstration. We can containerize the entire process and you know ISO containers, trip, you know shipping containers, sea fasten it to a barge. Cut the platform cost, cut the engineering time, cut the stand-up time, the integration time by just basically doing Legos. Um, but apart from those like freak weather events, could this act like baseload on the grid? It is baseload. It's uh, you know the because heat capacity of the heat capacity of water is so high. You know it, it doesn't get it doesn't get cold at night, right? In the water. So, like, obviously, the big problem with solar and wind is that it's intermittent. But this could, along with solar and wind, I guess you can't get that everywhere, though. You have to be coastal. Well, it is. Uh, so it's yeah, you have to be coastal unless, of course, you know, you have super grids, right? Unless the grids of all these countries are connected to each other, and then yeah, it could provide inland as far as the grid. It, it could provide energy as far inland as the grid 
the grid goes. Right. Um, but, but you you lose energy the further you try and yeah. tr- you know, send it. And unless you're unless you have to use higher and higher voltage yeah. DC. Um, what's really interesting is this is obviously a fascinating project. Uh, Adam Wright's project with yeah, Vespian. Uh, yeah. Vespian, yeah. Um with regards to landfill sites like burning off the methane. Uh, there's so many interesting projects. My favorite thing about his project is he's created, I mean, Adam is a genius. He created an incentive for adults to pick up trash on a global scale. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you can't get children, teenagers, or adults. I mean, you, there'll be a bin right there, and somebody will drop a cigarette butt on the ground. Uh, imagine creating an incentive to pick up trash on a global scale. Know, That's that, that, that always just blows my Mind. Well, there's so many of these interesting projects. My question is, is or the thing that's on my mind is we need Bitcoin, one, to therefore succeed, because you don't want all these projects being built and then you know, Bitcoin kind of just like stagnates or gets overregulated. Well, don't these projects, isn't it a self-reinforcing loop? I, I know that, but like it's, you've got to win the race. I mean, if, it, let's say if if o- if Bitcoin bootstraps OTEC to because because this is the largest untapped energy source on the planet. I mean, we're talking. You know, if you look at how much solar energy the world receives, right? You know, it looks at the Earth on a flat disk. It's it's, um, and if you look at the the distribution of area on a flat disk, you know, with a radius the size of the Earth. Well, 50% of the world's area is located in the, the tropics on a flat disk Earth, not in the round world. But, you know, when, when you're looking at solar energy, it's only striking a flat plane. It, you know, the sun sees us as a big flat plane. Yeah. And if you're looking at the Earth as a flat plane, 50% of that area is in the tropics, and 80% of the tropics is covered in the ocean. That means that 40% of all the solar energy that falls on planet Earth falls in the middle of the ocean where there is no industry, there is no human civilization. It's just, it's the largest untapped energy source. And, you know, I think the best estimate estimate done so far is by um, this guy, Gerard Niehaus, who is our advi- an advisor to our company, been studying the, you know, OTEC for 50 years. He estimates that there's about eight terawatts worth of this available in the ocean before you start cooling the surface of the ocean. Now, we've, we're talking about uh, you know thermal expansion of the ocean, so that may become something that we need to discuss. I'm not a fan of geoengineering, but as a last resort, that's a different conversation. Is that sprinkling shit up in the atmosphere? No, well, it's it, geoengineering. It, that is one way to do it. Yeah, the other another option is iron seeding. You know, you just take a ship. Go dump iron, you know, little bits of iron off the back of your boat. Uh, you know, OTEC, if you start going above eight terawatts and you start cooling, it's any ch- actively ch- what we've been doing with carbon dioxide is geoengineering. Just we were just too stupid to. Well, no, we've we've no, we've known it would it would heat yeah. the planet up for 150 years. Shell, you know, wrote about it. We have their ExxonMobil. Yeah, we have their we have their emails saying we should not talk about this, but this is what's happening. So yeah. sim- simping for fossil fuels and then disregarding their <laughs> their own you know your your own BFFs writings is, is is just silly. Well, yeah, I mean it's look, it's <laughs> you just have to follow the money. It's the incentives, right? Of course, the fossil fuel industry 
when their scientists discovered that burning fossil fuels increased carbon in the atmosphere and it was going to warm up the planet, they had an incentive to change the narrative. Yeah, like Kodak, when they discovered the digital camera, and it's like, this is going to fuck over our entire business model. And then did nothing about it. Then did, <laughs> and then did nothing about it. So if one of these plants broke and it leaked ammonia, does that matter? It's a closed cycle, so there's no way it leaks ammonia. And it's not enough to do anything. Right. So what, why can't it leak it, leak ammonia? It's a closed cycle, so the it's, it's not like they're in big vats. It's... Um, it's in giant, you know, uh, metal encasings. Um, it's not. It's it's not. It's not something that leaks, right? It's not like you have a. It's not like a tanker of oil that spills in a crack in the hull. It, that that's not how it. Um, yeah. Okay. So you're going to prove the case with Bitcoin. Yeah. But back to the point I was going to make is that we need Bitcoin to be successful and increasingly successful because there isn't enough usage of Bitcoin now to uh, justify enough ASICs to deliver on all these projects. Yep. So that's what we need, Bitcoin, to keep growing. So there's an incentive to build out these units because there's enough, Bitcoin's valuable enough to, to justify this. So we just need Bitcoin to keep growing. Well, we, don't, we only need, you know, the Bitcoin becomes sort of ancillary the larger this project gets. At the 10 megawatts, Bitcoin is crucial. But at 100 and 400 megawatts, when it's connected to land, it's just to, you know, for curtailment yeah. uses. Like, you know, when Sol turns out the tropics where OTEC is useful is also uh, home to great sunlight and wind energy as well. And, you know, in the middle of the day when the sun is shining, you're going to, cur- you have to curtail something. And, well, because of the cold water, the free cooling, OTEC at scale is the most efficient way to produce Bitcoin. It makes sense to curtail the OTEC and then just mine Bitcoin. I mean, I sense both of your excitement. You should come and say hello to the camera at some point. Whenever you want me to. Come and say hello now. Just come and say hello. Just come. Oh, I'll just come say hi. This yeah. is Michael. He's my uh, co-founder. Come around that side. Come around that side. Just introduce <laughs> yourself on the mic. Mike. How are you doing, everyone? My name is Michael, also known as Michael Hawaii on Twitter. Thank Close you for having mic. us. Thank you for having us, I, Peter. You should have brought me a shirt. You know, it's it's very funny because my MO is I'll send all of these like very high up people shirts and the venture capitalists and so forth. And I always get a So you're saying I'm not high up. I'm low no, down. No, what I'm saying is I <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> we, we talked about it last night, didn't we? You said I need a Hawaiian shirt. So, Danny, if you can get us uh, addresses after, we'd be more than happy and sizes as well. I, you know, I need to get you this one too. So I'll go with the calculator. I'm this up. is my 50th anniversary, Noah. Noah shirt, you know, the um, oceanographic. And yeah. It's very cool. Everything you're doing is very cool, but it's good for everyone to see you because we keep shouting at you and you keep shouting back, so they should say hello. <laughs> Perfect. I'll be in there and back. You'll be in there, drink of the whiskey. <laughs> Mike, uh, Michael's, you know, the, the business genius to the crazy mad scientist, engineer genius. Uh, he's your Danny. <laughs> he carries me. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, right. So what's going on with your debate? Because it's a debate I want to hear. Because I want. But before you can, we get to that, let's talk okay. about more of the baseload. We were on something there. Oh yeah, yeah, the of baseload. Course. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, OTEC is baseload, and you're right that there's uh, we. So we've been able to identify a thousand carbon-based plants around the world that have a higher cost of energy than our LCOE at scale. Uh, but that only makes up about 300 gigawatts of the 8 terawatts. So what do we do with the rest of it is the question, especially when it's in the middle of the ocean. 
Well, actually, I brought something for show and tell. Oh, man, what's up? <laughs> what is this, man? What have you got here for us? This is what's called oh no, a manganese nodule. It looks like a shit. It looks... <laughs> that's a space poopy. That, that's a space peanut. Joke, joke if you told me this is actually not shit and this was just a trick to get me to have it. <laughs> Anyone listening, I'm holding like a rock. It looks like... Uh, it does look like a shit. Um, but it also... I can imagine this is volcanic rock. No, that is a ball of pure metal. What metal? Well, the nickname for the manganese nodules are the battery rock. Okay, explain this to me. So this contains manganese, cobalt, nickel, copper, uh, a bunch of trace, you know, rare earth metals, depending on the formation region, lithium. Um, and there are more. These, it's just a ball of metal. Where does it, it come from? Sitting on the floor of the ocean. Huh. 20,000 feet below the surface. And there are trillions of these over 10 million square kilometers in across uh, the Pacific this is what Elon and Musk Indian means. Ocean. Actually, Howard Hughes was the original, you know, uh, billionaire who was, they, there was this whole, there was this whole story of um, Howard Hughes and they, uh, they were working with the government to, there was a, a a nuclear, a Russian nuclear submarine that had crashed, right? And so they, the U.S. government worked with Howard Hughes to, on this farce to go mine these in the middle of the ocean, you know, to, uh, but the, the real reason was to go recover that nuke, that <laughs> nuclear sub. But the cover was to go mine these because these have been known for 70 years. And uh, the, the largest and most, uh, you know, economically important region for these is about a, thousand kilometers southeast of Hawaii. And, you know, I asked the question earlier, it's like, well, you know, to the solar people, well, where do you get those minerals? What, I mean, what is the value of that? This rock? rock? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What is a, I got this from a friend, but I think I've seen them sold online, you know, because Hawaii, UH, Manoa, where you yeah. know, I'm alma mater and who we're working with on some of the things. Uh, we study these, but I think on the open market, this is probably like $300 or so. That piece there? Yeah. Because like somebody wants to own it or the value of the metals in it is about $300? Yeah, about that. Okay. Okay. So, okay. Interesting. Now, there are about, there's more of those metals that I mentioned in these rocks than are available terrestrially by, oh, I, I forget the exact multiple, but it's a, a large multiple. Um and I think the estimated value of the Clarion-Clipperton Fracture Zone, the CCZ, which is that zone about 1,000 kilometers southeast of Hawaii, uh, the total value of all the mineral, of all these manganese nodules, is about $60 trillion. Yeah. What? Yeah, six, $60 trillion. Danny, let's get a sub. <laughs> manganese with a nodules. Claw, with a claw <laughs> and a basket. That's all you need. The Wikipedia page for manganese nodules. Let's um, put it up. Polymetallic man. nodules. Either one will pull it how, up. How did, how did they get there? What's... So the region that they form, there you go. Right. The whole seabed oh, just sub looks like. <laughs> um, 
Cameron's got one, hasn't he? So the region James that Cameron. they're formed uh, is in the middle of the ocean. Hold right? on, hold on. Very little is known about deep sea ecosystems or the potential impacts of deep sea mining. Polymetallic nodule fields are hotspots of abundance and diversity of highly vulnerable abyssal fauna. Yeah, what's abyssal fauna? You all know that. Uh, so the the uh, the abyssal uh, pol- uh, the abyssal zone is a region between you know a certain depth, right? Uh, there's the mesopelagic, the abyssal pelagic, the hadal pelagic. You know, from the uh, Marianas Trench, the abyssal pelagic is like the lowest. You know a lot that. of stuff about the ocean. I am an ocean. I mean, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nodule mining could affect tens of thousands of square kilometers of these deep sea ecosystems and ecosystems. Millions. Yeah, okay. So how do you get it without fucking that up? Fucking up? So this is, um, you know, this this kind of touches on the question. Again, there can is- Can you leave that up? I just want to read a bit more yeah, in a yeah. second. And then Actually, pull up can, the picture of the whole, the fields. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely the, beautiful. Can you um, get the images up, Danny? People should check this out. Go and Google these manganese nodules. Uh, can you go to Google Images? Yeah, I'm doing that now. I've got it here. And so the regions that these things are formed. Holy shit, look at that one. Yeah, yeah. It's. Do you, know, do you know what that reminds me of? That one there. Go on that one, Danny. Click on that image. It kind of reminds me of, of aliens. Do yeah, you know where they've got the pods? Balls of fucking metal sitting on the 20,000 feet below the surface. It is cuckoo bananas nuts. And how did they get there, sorry? So the region that these are formed in. Uh, it's in the middle of the ocean, right? And the yeah. seafloor of any region is determined by the shit that falls down. Well, in the middle of the ocean, there's no terrigenous materi- material from land. There's no coral. There's nothing really living above it. So there's nothing nothing formed. There's nothing falling down. So what happens is you'll get a nucleation point, like a shark's tooth or you know a fish bone will fall from the surface and around it, the dissolved metals in the ocean, you know, just kind of glom on. Now, some of these form, um, there's hydrogenesis, and then there's uh, diagenesis, you know, form right below the surface. Some are formed in from dissolved metals in the ocean. Some are formed from dissolved metals here on the, the yeah, potato yeah. fields of the deep sea. <laughs> what is that, gold in the middle there? No, 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 it's uh, copper. All right, Danny, go go on that mine manganese nodule to the left of that. This one, yeah. Pipe string. Does it? Do these happen deep in the ocean because they need the pressure? Yeah, pressure is a big portion of everything. Um, but it's just that there's nothing falling down. Right. For, I mean, it takes tens of millions of years for something like this to form. Right. It's right. not like because there's not a lot of dissolved metals in the ocean. Right. And it's enough to power. All the solar, there are enough of these minerals to build all the solar panels, all the batteries the world needs. And, you know, we can move, instead of tearing down the rainforest with slave child labor. I was going to say, this is going to put a lot of African 12-year-olds out of, out of work. <laughs> and so it's really, it's really a, uh, you know, it's a binary question. It's, well, yeah, I mean, you, you read the part about the, the mining. Um, and it's a, if we need these minerals, where do we get them? Now, this region, again, there's not a lot of shit down there. There's high diversity of fauna, but there's a very low biomass versus the the Congo rainforest, which is the last carbon negative rainforest on planet Earth. There is both a high diversity and high biomass. This show is brought to you by Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin 
but I'm only ever buying. Come on, we're hodlers, we're not sellers. I'm also using the Gemini app for buying the dips, and I've been buying a lot of those recently. And I've also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. Gemini are now also running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Next up is my new sponsors, the Texas Blockchain Council. Now, on November the 17th and 18th, the Texas Blockchain Council are putting on the Texas Blockchain Summit in Bitcoin country, Austin, Texas. Now, you know how much I love out there. I'm going to be attending. The event is two days of thought leadership for Bitcoin. Day one is all that any Texas Bitcoin miner could ask for. Top Bitcoin CEOs and their teams will be hanging out in Austin. And day two has top policy leaders from the US, both federal and state legislators, senators, House of Representatives, CFTC commissioners. What more could you ask for? Yes, I'm not just promoting this. I'll be attending the event in Austin, hanging out with my Texas Bitcoin buddies and interviewing someone very important on stage. So make sure you book your ticket, come to the event, let's hang out. To find out more, head over to texasblockchainsummit.org and use the discount code PETERMC20 for a 20% discount at checkout and let them know that I sent you. This offer is valid until the end of October. Next up, it is BCB Group. BCB Group provide online business banking services for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, I am a customer of BCB too. They heard about my difficulty with finding a payment services provider that understands Bitcoin and reached out to me. Now, BCB's clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, but they are expanding globally. They have an amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients and all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have had some trouble with this like me. And if you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Also, we have my new sponsor, Wasabi who I will be now using to make sure my Bitcoin is private and I'm very excited about using their software. With the release of Wasabi 2.0, Bitcoin privacy is now effortless as the wallet has introduced privacy by default. Now, rather than having to choose to coin join, this can all be done automatically. So you just need to receive your Bitcoin, wait for the coin join, and then you can spend freely. All the magic happens automatically in the background, which is a massive UX improvement. You also get additional privacy through Tor integration into Wasabi 2.0, so you don't leak your IP address. And there are no more minimum denominations, so you can coin join any amount, and there's no more change. So any amount you receive from a coin join is private. Privacy is something I've been taking more seriously recently. And with Wasabi 2.0, this has made it so much easier. So definitely go and check it out. If you want to find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T dot I-O. Danny, can you go on that manganese nodules for sale? Yeah. What, what, what is the cost of these things going to be? Holy oh. shit. Look at that one. $5,700. That's too much. Can you go on eBay? Let's <laughs> have a look. I got to do this on my screen because I can't see that one. Right. So, so, so I'm going to be honest. Some of them look cooler than yours. They do. Yeah. And no, that one, uh, that one there, does look the E Rocks Mineral Auction. That does look like one of those aliens. Yeah. 
Like an alien, like the egg. The pod, the egg. Yeah. Wow, this is amazing. Yeah. Hold F- on. Fuck tungsten cubes. Yeah. Buy manganese <laughs> nodules. Nick Carter, we're, we're, we got something here for you. Uh, does it? Would it damage the ocean floor to mine those? And does it matter at that depth? So, and that's the question. That's you've, you've touched on the binary question of where do we get the metals? We need these metals. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. Where do we get them? Do we get them from the bottom of the ocean, which is a terminal? Uh, the you know the abyssal pelagic, the benth, uh, the abyssal benthic zone is a terminal ecosystem. Shit falls down there, but the question is whether it comes back up. And the answer is no one can tell us because there's no clear signs that it does. Now, we know that the rainforest is highly connected ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, that's There's no question there. Now, whether the things live there are import, that live on these manganese nodules. And of course, so the ISA, the International Seabed Authority, under the charter from the UN, uh, has already issued permits. They've issued permits for the extraction of these to, uh, I think, about a, thou- uh, a million square kilometers have been permitted for extraction. And then another, uh, another million, uh, you know, they've sold off the parcels of land. And then another million square kilometers have been reserved for developing countries who can't compete with your China's, Germany, U.S., France, you know, Japan. They all have stakes. So half of the mining area for these has been reserved for developing countries because so that the entire world can share in this mineral wealth that how? is collective. But how? Because this is international waters, right? Yep. Who owns that land? Uh, the International Seabed Authority has, uh, has uh, you know, jurisdiction over it. Who, who gives them jurisdiction? The UN. Okay. okay. So member nations, uh, which, of course, they, they all are. Um, Sorry, I'm so distracted by that. <laughs> Superbra ancient Madagascar. Do you on this Madagascar one? Also, it makes me laugh. It's like, it's in the used category. What the fuck have they used it for? <laughs> Superbra ancient Madagascar septarian nodule. Looks like a dinosaur egg fossil gemstone. $2,500. I want it. I don't know what I'll do with it, but I want it. <laughs> Display. Uh, yeah. So okay. you, you keep it on the, on the table for all future guests yeah. who have to talk. Say, you have to find $60 trillion worth of minerals that are not being used. Do you know what you do? Just put it there and say, listen, I'm not going to tell you what this is, but I dare you to touch it. <laughs> People will instantly freak out and they won't know why. I'm not fucking touching that. Uh, We're going to meme manganese nodules into Dude, the public cool. consciousness. How do I get one? Do you want to sell me that one? No, this one's this one's so that, that one's yours. Personal, like uh, <laughs> I want one. But so we kind of missed a link. So oh, you, yeah, we, came, what has that got to do with anything? We, it came from like you're going to have tons of excess energy, but obviously, <laughs> presumably, that's to mine these. But like, how? Well, it turns out that every manganese nodule region happens to be in the the OTEC zone, and that a huge compo- the right now the reason why we're not mining these is because obviously it doesn't reach cost parity with terrigenous sources. So it turns out that in the middle of the ocean, a large scale mining operation needs a lot of energy. And that equates to about 40% of the cost of pulling these out. Now, if they, and they, you know, that requires shipping in just absolute shit ton of fossil fuels, which have variable cost, uh, you know, as we're seeing now, the cost is even higher. Well, if you had 
let's say there was some magical source of energy in the middle of the in, ocean. In the middle of the ocean, right at where three cents per kilowatt hour, or of course in the middle of the ocean where there are no other energies. What we sell that energy for is a different question. We we produce it for three cents. What we sell it for is another question. Um, right. You know, we'll mine it. We'll mine Bitcoin at the three cent. We sell it to ourselves for three cents, but we sell it to someone else. Five cents, six cents, whatever multiple. There are no other energy sources in the middle of the ocean. So, um, so on the timeline of everything you're doing, where does this sit? Because you're going to do the proof of concept. Yep. When do you start m- mining? I'm not going to mine these. No, that, oh, that you're going to give someone else the energy. You're going to sell it to them so they can do it. So like I said, the ISA has already permitted mining. And it looks like the most likely case is there's going to be a uh, the first company, country, uh, Nauru, has has petitioned the ISA to commence activity in 2023. They're not ready, obviously, but it's to spur the ISA to issue guidelines to do so. And there's most likely going to be a moratorium for about 10 years is what the world is sort of uh, moving towards. And it turns out 10 years is about our timeline to get 100 to 400 megawatt OTEC stand-up. So mm. there's this convergent evolution of these two technologies. And then there's, of course, all these other use cases that people aren't considering in the middle of the ocean. Green hydrogen production. You know, how, There's obviously no way you're going to be able to produce green hydrogen at cost parity with steam methane reforming using... Obviously. Fucking solar, obviously. <laughs> obviously. I was just solar thinking, panels was just and thinking, wind. Duh. duh. <laughs> but three cent per kilowatt hour, and instead of having to go to, say, the Sahara or, you know, all the ships in the world for hydrogen have to go to, you know, a handful of locations, well, if you only have to travel to the equator, saving you a big chunk of change. And, you know, unlimited, with unlimited energy, you can solve unlimited problems. You can beat back if you have unlimited energy. You can beat back sea level rise. If you if you're if you have unlimited energy, you can beat back uh, you know shifts in the water cycle. Well, they talk about uh, civilization types and how they harness energy, right? Isn't it like what? What are we? Are we still a type one? Like we are Cardiff. point seven. We're point seven. Point seven on on and this was Sagan. So Sagan's contribution to up? this. Yeah. Uh, Sagan's contribution was a, you know, an actual formula. And so the way that uh, type one civilization is defined is, you know, a civilization that use all the, the energy that's available to it from its home star yeah. on its home planet. Well, that number is defined by what I was talking about earlier and energy from the sun on a flat earth, on a flat disk. We're at 0.73 on this scale. So you do know everything. <clears throat> Type 2 can harness the total energy of its planet's parent star. 40% of type 1 is only available through OTEC. There is no type 1 without OTEC. And what that means is most likely if we don't do OTEC, then, you know, the the Kardashev scale is often linked to the Fermi paradox, right? I love the Fermi paradox. And, you know, the most likely explanation for the Fermi, you know, the Fermi paradox is that the great filter is ahead of us. And it's, you know... It's our stupidity. It's our stupidity, our resource use, and our inability to take, to get all of the energy that is available to us from the sun. Again, 40% of that is only available 
through OTEC, and we can use that energy to go get these fucking rocks from the bottom <laughs> of the fucking ocean and make all the fucking batteries and solar do, panels. Do, do you know why I love this shit? Like this uh, Kardashian, Kardashian scale. The Kardashian, Kardashian scale. scale. Kardashian, <laughs> yeah, the reason I like the Kardashian scale is because we are, it's like this prediction about energy usage across the universe where we have no, we've got no, um, uh, evidence that anyone has reached type two or type three, but the reason, but the reason I, I love it is that uh, I'm a bit of a space nerd, so I like I, I follow some of like the space website. I read like some yeah. like new scientists and shit like that. But like they have these radio signals that occasionally they're like, we've had these uh, what is it, fast radio bursts they call mm-hmm. them, and they're like it's intermittent, it doesn't make any sense unless they've got a Dyson sphere around their sun. The other option, of course, is um, yeah. So yeah, the neutron stars do some weird shit. Man. But like they've they've invented the Dyson sphere with the expectation that advanced civilizations in other galaxies. And so we can, done it. you know, we have a very clear pathway to do that. We can create a single robot that we send to Mercury, which starts to reproduce itself at some point. You know, it starts mining away at the. We have to cannibalize the entire, uh, you know, planet of Mercury. You know, you send the one, it becomes two, then four, and you know, eight and sixteen, on and on and on, and then how does it, it reproduce factories? Itself? Well, it mines the ore on Mercury, right? Again, cannibalizing Mercury to build more of itself, which then you build the factories to build the giant solar panels, which then you, and not Dyson sphere, but a Dyson swarm. Because if on. you have a Dyson hold sphere, on, on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Can I, how, how many interviews have you done? Uh, I don't know, maybe half dozen, dozen, half a dozen. Okay, like. Uh, I will admit, I'm going to be on the dumber end of the scale, but still, you can't just throw these things out there and not explain them. Like, what what's a Dyson's for? Unless Danny already knows, he's been acting like a smart. Oh uh, yeah, no, no, but you you get this one. Yeah, all right. Oh, a Dyson sphere. <laughs> Actually, they made a fun movie, uh, Moonfall, recently. Yeah, so uh, well, uh, I haven't it, seen the film. I keep seeing it when I go on the plane. It's terrible. Yeah, because it's it's. Uh, I it's like dumb. It's like the core. It's a really stupid fucking movie, but if you want to just turn your brain off and have a good time, it's a good time. Like, it, isn't it a comedy? No, it's it's, it's like well, the core. It's a you know, it's a. Oh no, I'm confusing it with something else. It's where literally the moon falls. The moon falls, and okay. it's because the moon. It, spoiler alert: the moon is a megastructure. It's a Dyson sphere, which is a fully enclosed, basically, uh, uh, you know, battery. Right. Right. You, you capture a star. You fully enclose it, and you use all the energy available. That's type two, right? Um, now, a Dyson uh, swarm is instead of fully enclosing it, you just have solar. Because, of course, we still need the sun. If you fully enclose it, there's no sun. Um, and that would be bad. What, what do you think with the Fermi paradox? Do you think the great filter, like no one's ever got past a great filter, or they have and they don't give a shit about us, or they have and they haven't found us, or they haven't, you know, the universe is quite a big place. Yeah. Uh, you know, 13.9 billion years old. If a civilization had a thousand years head start on us, you know, from technological perspective, they would be at type two, a million years, a billion years head start. They're type three and beyond. Because um, there are beyond type three. Uh, you know, the scale has been amended over the years. Is there a type four? Yeah, there's type oh, actually, five as no, well. No, 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 no. I think it goes up to like type 10. I th- I'm sure I researched this with somebody and there's like some weird... Well, we did a whole show on the, well, on the Fermi Paradox with BJ, didn't we? Yeah, so, so look up type five, Danny, first. 
I mean, it, it just... We'll jump one. The main three are the type one, two, and three. That's really all that matters. No, but I'm sure it goes up to, like, type ten. I'm Using sure. all the energy of the multiverse. All right, type... All right, type four, capable of using energy at the scale of the universe. Create galaxies, manipulate space-time, okay. Type five, capable of using energy at the scale of the multiverse. Oh, travel, <laughs> travel to parallel universes and simulate universes. Okay, so we could be in the simulation. Oh, there, there's a very high likelihood we are a simulation, yeah. yeah. Uh, type six, civilization that exists beyond time and space or in higher dimensions, creates and destroys multiverses. I think it goes higher. Can you, like, you don't need pictures. I'll keep going. See if you can find a type 10, because I'm sure I went up that high. I mean, you got to be pretty, pretty high to talk about to dude, for type 10. <laughs> I was probably drunk. I don't, I don't. <laughs> Here we go. Type X. The civilization has explored every universe, multiverse, me- megaverse, omniverse. What the fuck is a megaverse so that would and be omniverse? The, that would be the Avengers. <laughs> What's a megaverse? Well, you should ask Tony Stark. Huh. Omniverse and all dimensions of the hyper the fuck's the hyperverse. hyperverse. We are gods to countless civilization of far greater understanding of realms beyond reality in the outerverse. How oh, come on, man? They're taking the piss now. The exponential nature of the scale tops here, as time is meaningless beyond reality, and neon is like a second to those who dwell there and beyond. And space has no bound. It's almost that's almost poetic. Create and destroy omnidimension. Oh, hold on, no, it does. It's going further because it's got scroll. How far down? Member of the afterlife after eons of initiation and tests from its lower hierarchy. I mean, it's just bullshit. Isn't but ten point eight made a book. <laughs> it, re- <laughs> it reads like an ICO white paper. Hold on, look, look, ten point eight. All these things, right? So ten point seven. Contact with other dimensional godlike beings in the afterlife and awareness of strange beings. Ten point six. Discovery of the afterlife is contained in the second realm. The but Council 10.8, of Reeds. But look, you get to ten point eight, and it's like made a book. Dis- made a book. <laughs> I wrote a book. So God's at ten point eight. I saw the multiverse of madness. Navigation to Kardashian type. Hold on. <laughs> the Kardashian. Hold on, Danny. Look, it goes further. Like you've got type 25, 27, type 29, type 30, eye brain. Hold on. Can we? Sorry. Anyone listening is like, what the fuck are you want about? You've got to watch the video. What's, what's type 30? I don't know what we get this. Can you click on that? Type 30 civilization exists beyond the highest planes outside reality and non-reality. There are gatekeepers of the beyond. The beyonders. They, they are the beyonders. Yeah, that is, that, this is Marvel. We're getting into the Marvel. <laughs> we can go. Let's, let's go into Marvel. Type 30 civilization live in the 10th level or tier of the pyramid. <laughs> the actuality of the beyonders and their home is unknown and unknowable and therefore is a concept. But it's like the fuck. All right. Go to the eye. Oh, dear. Oh. oh, and then brain. And then brain. The eye is a type 30 citizen. This is the all-knowing, all-seeing eye. Cap- like, this is getting into, like... Lord of Ham- the Rings. No, no, it's like Hamme's tail. Isn't there the that. eye in that? Uh, all-seeing eye, capable of overseeing all that happens in the pyramid. The eye... That's basically God. Yep. The eye confirms and forces all systems of morality and science. Okay, someone's just, like, made this shit up. Can, yeah, they're definitely taking the Can piss. we go to brain? brain the, the brain controls the eye... And that happens in the pyramid. The brain makes the... <laughs> Honestly, anyone listening to this is like, what the hell are you on about? Look, just search for, not not the Kardashian scale. Start, search for the Kardash, Kardashev type. K-A-R-D-A-S-H-E-V. 
What is Kardashian? Is that a dude? Like he just yeah, it's a dude. He's a so Soviet he, did he, physicist. So he wrote no, all this. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> he wrote. He he talked about type one, two, and three, and then Carl some, Sagan expanded it with a, a formula. And then some dudes did some mushrooms. Yeah, someone yeah, asked some crazy. Oh, that's what it is. Look, om- omniverse takes you up to type seven. Hyperverse takes you up to type nine. Outerverse takes you up to type thirteen. Adverse takes you up to type nineteen. Beyond minus takes you up to type 25, and beyond plus takes you up to brain. I mean, none of those are... Oh, I mean, the Kardashev scale is just one, two, and I know three. what's going to happen now. So I do this thing sometimes when I get into bed, and I'm like, I know I should go to sleep, and I get on my phone, and I go down Wikipedia rabbit holes. I know tonight that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to go to bed about 10, thinking I need to get up early, and I'm going to be about two hours in this rabbit hole. <laughs> okay, man, listen. Um, oh, by the way, this is amazing. Uh, let's... Uh, yeah, forty percent of uh, all the energy available, you know, to a Type One civilization is only accessible via OTEC. Uh, what we use that energy for, you know, whether it's connecting supergrids with a string of uh, daisy chained OTEC, you know, platforms across the equator connecting all the different continents, um, whether we, you know, stick, uh, you know, an OTEC power plant on the bottom floor of a uh, cruise ship and create, you know, floating society. You know, one of the problems with seasteading was always they didn't have an energy source. They'd have to come back to land. The freedom ship. Yeah. Remember the freedom ship? No. We've had that on the show before, haven't we? I think it came up in the Pete Young show we did. Yeah, bring up the freedom ship. So this was a thing I followed years ago. It must have been like 15 years ago. This concept of a, a ship that would just, it's like a floating country. Just floated around the world. Hear, hear this. Oh, like yeah, I yeah, followed yeah, yeah, it for yeah, yeah. ages, and I was super fascinated by it. They didn't have an energy source, and so they'd have to dock eventually. With OTEC, you could be out there indefinitely. You could look at the size of that thing. Of course, with uh, you know, with an energy source, you can grow. You can grow food with an energy source. You can desalinate water with an energy source. You can have life. Uh, desalination. The problem is energy, isn't it? Yeah, it's three, three, kilo, three kilowatt hours per meter cubed. Yeah. The, the interesting stuff about things like this, they show you like the graphics of how it's going to look and it all looks pretty and amazing. It's going to be brilliant. But the truth is it's, basically, it's still going to be Snowpiercer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interesting enough, because that's what I thought about when I was reading or listening to um, Project Hail Mary guy book. Mm-hmm. What's the, the moon one? Uh, Artemis. Yeah, Artemis. Do, do you know Project Hail Mary? Mm-mm. Um, Same guy who wrote the Martian. The Martian, yeah. Andy You've seen Weary, the Martian, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so he did this other book called um, Project Hail Mary. I won't go into too much detail, but I, based on what I know about you, I think you would love, <laughs> love this book. And it's just about this guy's got to save planet Earth, right? Um, he also did this book called Artemis, which is about the moon and like you know, the colony has been established on the moon. But basically, they do a very good job of building this picture of this colony on the moon, but there are different, there's a social structure and like how you live if you're one of the kind of peasant workers there and the different access you have to resources and such. So they do a really good job of that. I always think these people skip it. Well, how, you know, do we have a moon, even an outpost by the end of this century? I think maybe. Not definitively. Do we have a, you know, I mean, will there be... I can tell you definitively there were not will not be permanent civilization on the moon by the end of the century. That's flat out ridiculous. Why? Because you can't go outside. 
you can't you, we we couldn't build a fully self-contained society on planet earth yeah but you could you have we can't like, do that could you have like like the international space station like a small people didn't live of, there all, for their entire lives no 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 but like they needed food they needed water to be brought in but don't you see like a potential building a like a permanent structure and having a rotating yeah, but that's not population. permanent civilization. You know, oh, okay. colonize, col- a colony versus a, a military or scientific outpost are two very different questions. But do you not see we'll get an outpost? Like the, the start of establishing Possibly. colonies? A scientific outpost is, I, I, there's a maybe that that'll happen by the end of the century. It's not a definite uh, because there's a lot of shit that happens. I mean, there's a really good uh, Apple TV series. I made you watch it called First. Um, the for all mankind. For mankind, yeah. So they it's about the space race and uh, plot spoiler. If you've never seen it, you want to see it, ignore the next minute. But basically, they just tweak history and um, the Russians make it to the moon first. That's all they do. Uh, but from there, they end up building outposts. The Americans and the Russians and what happens. And it's, it's really fascinating. It's well worth watching. Space, living in space is a real problem. I mean, the radiation thing is not a problem that anyone has proposed to solve outside of a three-meter water encasement, which how are you going to get that water? If we can't build it on on the ocean, if we can't build a permanent civilization on the ocean first, that has to happen first. We can't, even, we can't build a permanent civilization in Antarctica. People don't live there for their entire lives. They go there, they do research, they come back. Mm. If we can't do this on... The ocean first, with an inexhaustible energy source. You know, with a, one of the cool things about OTEC is that you know it takes in water from deep, and that water is super nutrient dense. And so, when in a in a moored concept, you can't release it at the surface in the photic layer, the the light, the area that uh, light reaches down to, because you'll get eutrophication, you'll get red tides, is the word people have, you know, shit like that. Yeah. Uh, and the grazing concept, you can actually release it at the fo- in the photic layer and stimulate primary productivity. So one of the interesting you know, byproducts of grazing OTEC is carbon capture and storage. And if you can mine Bitcoin, you can do this profitably, which would be the first profitable implementation of carbon capture and storage on, on planet Earth. And what's cool is you'll have this entire ecosystem. You'll get all these, you know, mega fish come around. The, so you'll have a, basically a floating fishery out there. So you have all the food you need. You have all the energy you would need to create your own fresh water supply. With energy, you can, you know, do the, the, the vertical farming and shit. So we have all the pieces. And if we can't do it on, on, on the ocean first... Fuck, you're never going to do it on, in space. Are you kidding me? If we can't do it first here. So do you think Elon Musk's whole get us to Mars thing is basically bullshit? Because the reason I think it might be, like, I think obviously he's a fucking incredible person achieved. Yeah, what he's done with, more. with you yeah. know, industrialization, with factory production, with all these things, you know, and then there's the marketing portion. The, yeah, so I, um, first time I came to Austin, funny we were in Austin, uh, was for a South by Southwest, like, God, when was that? It would have been about 10 years ago. 
And I came, I used to work in marketing and I came for the marketing and I ended up looking at all the different uh, things that were on. I decided to fucking sack them all off. I ended up going to, one of them I went to was NASA uh, and they ran a panel talking about going to the moon, uh, sorry, going to Mars, to all the challenges of getting to Mars. And they said, the biggest problem we haven't solved is the radiation problem. Because anyone there is going to get absolutely super hit. cancer. Yeah, they're just going to hit, hit, hit. Super cancer. And they said, like, that's our. You know, we've got a lot of problems to solve to get there. That's our biggest problem. And, and then so there's what, the water. Of course, you're not going to have enough water to get there. You're not going to have uh, the food you would need to bring on board. Would take up the entirety of your cargo space plus. Plus some, there's not enough cargo room for all the food you need. There's not enough cargo room for all the water you need. There's no space for you. You know, it's going to be, a, if anything, a small crew, and they're most likely not going to come back. And you have to be trapped there for three, yeah, no. But the ambition of doing this creates a good story to tell for a company that actually has innovated in yep. uh, space cargo and space exploration. Uh, and and has made them a successful, profitable business. The Falcon business. 9 is a beautiful rocket. Yeah. I love the Falcon 9. I'm ambivalent on the Starship, super heavy. I don't... I mean, that's a that's a big fucking rocket. But he's got... He's got big tubes that I'd love to get my hands on. He's got the co- production capacity for giant tubes, and I need... About a kilometer worth of them. Based on everything he's invested in, though, I could imagine he would be super interested in what you're doing. And I would absolutely, Elon, I would love to chat with you. You're, you know. Well, me and Elon are friends. He's a regular listener. (laughs) So if you want to give him a message. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Uh, I mean, it's probably a conversation to have with Michael later, but I'm assuming that you're not struggling to get investment into this project. You probably can't even talk about that, but... Uh, if you're interested, renewable energy, decentralizing Bitcoin, uh, you know, pushing the bounds of human society, we would love to chat. Yeah, okay. Can we now talk about you debating? Safe. Well, anyone, not just yeah, safe. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah. particularly yeah. want to just say, like, I would love to have, um, I enjoyed my conversation with Alex Epstein, but whilst I should be interviewing him, I wanted to push back on things. But, like, I'm not armed with the information you have, the 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 background. I haven't done what you've done. So when I push back... Uh, Ten years' I, worth I, of yeah. study will make you, you, you learn a few I things I will struggle. Along the way. And I think it's useful for someone like him to be pushed back because as, as much as I can't push back on him because I don't have the experience, I think also people who are repeating what he says don't have the ability to s- decipher what's right and what's wrong. So I think it's not an attack on Alex. I th- Like I say, Alex has shifted my thinking, but I'd like my thinking to be as accurate as possible. Therefore, I would like you to sit with him and see if you change his opinion or he changes yours. So I'd love I'd love to make that one happen if we can. We should try and make that happen in LA. Yeah, I mean, the science of, uh, you know, climate change is irrefutable. There is no debate whether... I don't think he would debate you on that point. Yeah. I think it's... What is? What do we do about yeah, it? What do my we do about solution it? is OTEC. My solution is let's go get eight terawatts of extra energy that's just fucking sitting there. And his solution is let's keep businesses normal, even though we know or have a the... Best models humanity can produce. They're not, you know, all models are wrong. Some models are 
you know, enlightening. Some models teach you something. And the best models that hum- all of humanity, the collective knowledge of humanity have been able to produce, say, business is normal, leads to a disastrous outcome for the for human race, all people. Right. Now, the question is, what do we do about that? Do we do, do we bury our heads in the fucking sand and do nothing? Or do we fight like human beings do? We fucking fight and we have to fight. And, <laughs> and <laughs> OTEC is that fight. Your, you know, ang- your anger just broke some shit. Broke some shit. <laughs> that was some Jedi fucking move you pulled out. Okay, so when are you debating safe? Because like Danny messaged me the other day. Uh, Danny is a huge fan of safety. And he said, uh, uh, he said uh, Nate is going to be uh, debating safe on climate change. What happened there? What's the background? Where are we at? So yeah, he, he, you know, I responded to some Twitter call out. Um, and my initial email was, I pointed out that you know, he used a rather. Amp- what do you mean initial email? Like uh, I said, you know, we we got into you know we're we're debating the time, the format. Uh, Safe wants to do this debate on his platform where he has the ultimate control, where he's the moderator of his and the the moderator and participant with the edit button at the end. Yeah. That's his that's his proposal and you can't moderate no, you a can't. debate yourself and he refuses right now he's currently refusing to do it in any other way where he moderates himself uh and me and has an edit but he refuses to do it in person. He refuses to fly anywhere uh to do this. Um and then I just you know I simply pointed out that the language he chose was uh, not really good for himself because climate crisis is the term. He, you know, he's a stickler. I try to say, well, let's use, you know, anthropogenic climate change. It's a well-defined term. That's something we can debate. Uh, you know, climate crisis is not really well-defined term. So I went about, I wrote a 2000 word email where I went and I trade, you know, I pulled, I pulled the receipts and went to the primary source, the person, you know, the, the, the piece of pay, the, literature that actually coined the term uh, climate crisis and it's you know undercase right it's uh you know lowercase letters so and it used a climate crisis rather than the client i showed him how stupid the sentence he read it's clear he just didn't what was the framework of the debate that he wanted i I have not seen the tweets have you got it up danny yeah yeah he wanted to talk about the bullshit he's always talking about about how you know eating bugs and uh, you know, the climate hysteria and I'm a climate scientist. I don't, I don't participate in the climate act. I eat meat, even though I know that, you know, the agro businesses. All right. I would like to host someone on my podcast to debate me by arguing for the proposition. Human CO2 emissions are causing a climate crisis. A climate crisis. Are causing or will cause. I mean, look, the, the language is important here, but like, you can separate from your like what like length. Oh, let's do it, bud. Wait. So you're going to to argue in the affirmative that human CO2 emissions are causing a climate crisis. And so you, Mr. Harmon, said, "I am a geochemist, has been to the Moana Moana Loa and station." Okay, great. Okay, fantastic. Thank you for stepping in. So safety and accepted. Forget like you can pick apart the words or whatever, but like. Well, he wants to have the a discussion. The, the problem of the words, and he, he he was being a very stickler that it has to be the exact sentence. And so what I showed in this email is that if you do the sentence, and I, I laid out the arg the 
the argument that I was going to, you know, I was going to do in person. And it was just not, it was a semantic argument because if we're debating this exact sentence, there is no way for him to talk about, I think there is a very valuable debate to have, a very valuable conversation to have about our, what do we do? Now, that won't happen with this sentence because as written, if he wants to do the exact sentence as written, well, that that becomes a semantic argument, and I win that a hundred percent of the time because I pulled the primary source. Right. Okay. There is no there is no debate over that sentence. Is a it, it's clear he just didn't do enough research on that sentence. But so, Safe Dean has a um, a general skepticism towards uh, anybody who believes that there is or will be a climate crisis. Um, what is the definition of a climate crisis? That's, I mean, that's a problem. No, no, no. It's actually defined. Well, we yeah, know this. Yeah, but I think you can use it. I think you can twist it. You can, but you, in like a someone debate, like, it would be irrelevant. And you, So this is why we need an independent moderator, because if we use climate crisis, this is a term that has a meaning, a meaning, and we can't discuss some nebulous concept where there is no nothing to argue. One person's arguing against one thing. Yeah. The other person's arguing against something Cross else. Purposes. That's a that's a ridiculous proposition. And if we argue that, we have to argue it's in quotes that exact sentence. And that's what I'm that's the if that's the proposition, that's the proposition I have to defend. That's a hundred percent win every time. There is no wiggle room because that word climate crisis is well defined. We know exactly where it comes How from. How is it defined? So it comes from this paper. Uh, actually, the the title of the paper is something 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 climate emergency. It's, it has climate crisis is okay. not in the title. In that paper, there's two sections. There's a section that defines 18 vital signs that of the Earth that are in crisis. Right, a crisis is a a pivot point from one state to another state, and that's how the the word crisis is used only four times in the course of this paper, where that term climate crisis is first coined. And in that paper, it defines the crisis as the pivot point for 18 vital signs of the Earth system, and they are in flux. And those 18 different vital signs are all listed in the eye. The only, the only uh, source, the only uh, citation on any sentence that includes the word crisis is from the IPCC reports. So then now it's a, it's a, it's a scientific question is what it comes huh. down to. And as I don't want to have that conversation because now it's a semantic argument that I win and it's no fun for everyone. And it yeah. precludes him talking about the things that he wants to talk about. Because the thing I want to happen is what is the trajectory we are on? Where is that leading us? Should we do something about it? Yeah. And if we should, what are the things? And so the question I have, and we're trying to work out through email, is, um, you know, what is, we have to we have to find some point of agreement. Things are happening, right? We have to either take the IPCC, we either have to debate the IPCC, IPCC report, which is the collection of human knowledge on this subject, the, the vast collection. We either have to ex- start from... That is the starting point. And if we can't agree on that, the, the debate is about that. We can't have the discussion of what we do. And I want to have a discussion about what we do. Yeah. But we have to both be on the same understanding that the IPCC report is not a fiat-funded, you know, uh, 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 Illuminati conspiracy theory. It is the collection of hundreds of thousands of individuals, make like myself— 
making the trek up the fucking mountain, making the trek to Station Aloha to make these measurements that are done in the exact same way using standards agreed to. You know, the PDB standard is the standard for uh, carbon, for for carbon isotopes, for for oxygen isotopes. There is no debate over what that fucking standard is. And if we can't agree that we are all on the same page, we have to debate that. And I want to have that. Con- so he's exact- bo- but he's bottled it. Yeah, he's bottled it to that sentence. And that's and no, so- no. Sorry, bottle is a British term. <laughs> Get up an Urban Dictionary. <laughs> Do you know Urban Dictionary? Yeah, yeah. So it's very good for uh, explaining British terms. But bottle it doesn't mean uh, bottle it down to a single point. It basically means you've shit your pants. Yeah, he's 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 not he's not um, like in, like excited. if it's, like in, I QED'd it in football. If you're like if you're through and goal, or you got a penalty to win the game, you miss. You say, oh, you "Go bot- Bedford, you go Bedford." You say they bottled it. Uh, it means you shit. It's this one here. Yeah. <laughs> Daddy, come on, man. Daddy, I can't put that up. My dad, my dad now listens to the show. Well, as long as he doesn't watch it, bottled it. it. When someone decides to opt out of a rather nerve-wracking task instead of just growing some gonads and doing it, so we're basically That's saying basically, that. Yeah. So me and me and Safe. Uh, a really good friend, so I can uh, no. <laughs> Me and Say fell out, and we fell out. The starting point of us falling out was uh, climate change. I've obviously made my views clear on this, and I've accepted I'm a hypocrite. But uh, I put out a tweet. See if you can find it, Danny. Uh, at P McCormack, where I just call everyone an idiot. But you, at P McCormack, and you're an idiot. But this I put out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have I have sympathy for the you know it's happening, but. Moving the ship at this point would cause irreparable damage, and we shouldn't do anything and let the people who are f- get fucked by climate change get fucked by climate change. They'll move. I mean, that is a that is an absolute. Just, I mean, is it? I, I don't know if you call it a genocide, but dooming people. Yeah. So look, I put out: you're an idiot if you deny climate change is real. You claim that the current change is a natural weather cycle. You claim models are inaccurate. You claim climate change is too expensive to fix. You claim it is not a crisis. So I put this out in 2020. Got a lot of likes. Got a lot of pushback. But the, but but look, maybe I shouldn't say you're an idiot. I sh- maybe I should have picked my language better and say you've got it wrong. But climate change is real. We know that's true. The only one that I have any you know pushback on is your claim models are inaccurate. Mo- all models are wrong. Some are useful. Okay, but. We've done the research into the models, haven't we? And the models are so accurate yeah. that they've like, like but did they're one wrong. receive? A, yeah, they're wrong, but they're useful. When they're when you say they're wrong, are they wrong because it's impossible for a model to be hundred percent accurate? Yeah, but it's trajectory- analog versus digital. You you can never recreate the analog world within a digital. World. Of course, but like trajectory rise, people yep. claim the problems with the models. Actually. The, the, so I've modeled the price of Bitcoin. You know, uh, if we're we're trying to price out find some, that article a, a power on the model plant for thirty years, I have to model the price of Bitcoin thirty years into the future. I built a model, a really cool model that has only two independent variables. One of those variables is that more energy into the Bitcoin system over time. As time goes on, there will be more and more energy participating in the proof of work. The only the other independent uh, variable is that the all-in price that the Bitcoin network pays per kilowatt hour that goes into it will continue to decrease over time. Those are the only two independent variables. And, you know, 
what I come up, it's, is that wrong? Yeah, of course it's wrong. Is it going to be accurate over the time period that I'm looking at? You know, if I'm looking at 30 years, I don't have to, I don't really care about what the price of Bitcoin is in a year to year. I care about what, what it is over a 30 year. I think it's pretty accurate over a 30 year time period. Yeah. And that's what the models are. They're not to say, oh, in this year, it's going to be this temperature and yeah, this is going to happen. It's saying, hey, climate is defined by Weather patterns over a 30-year span. If you talk about anything that's not a 30-year climatic pattern, you're not talking about climate. But Sorry. my point, no, 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 it's fine. But my point on the models is, is the, yeah. the pushback I've, been, I've received is, oh, but the models are always wrong. Now, we did the research, and wasn't it something like... Yeah. If you found the article, no, the I don't know. To be honest, I don't know. Why. No, they're well within you, the bounds. The, the, the errors. Yeah, but I think you're kind of like arguing the same point. Yeah, yeah no, but no, what I'm saying is, if you go, go, try and search for climate model, models are so accurate, they've received a Nobel Prize. Because I'm pretty sure that's the one. My advisor won the Nobel Prize for the IPCC two, 2009 report. Uh, Chris Sabine, you can pull up the acceptance speech. He's uh, That was my uh, uh, chairperson on my graduate committee. See, the, one of the problems I have, if you found it. I don't know, it could be this. How climate models got so accurate they under Nobel Prize. Yeah, climate predictions were treated with heavy skepticism just 30 years ago, but they've become our main window into how global warming works. Two weeks ago, Catherine Hayhoe, I've interviewed her, of Texas uh, University, was a guest on the popular CBS show, Jimmy Kimmel Live. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, anyway, we can put that in the show notes. The but point yes. being is, what I found is that those on the skeptical denial kind of side uh, will find one wrong model and say it's all wrong. Yep. Or they'll say... Uh, Climate is always changing. Or they'll find something maybe like Alex Epstein has said. I can about, explain. You you want to go into why the climate changes over a long period? What what time scale? Because the why climate changing is di- on different time scales is different. No, but the, the point I'm trying to get to is people latch onto certain things. And by the way, it happens the other yep, way yep, around. Of course. Also, the activists latch onto they'll find something like cow fast and they'll say, We all have to stop eating meat. Oh, uh note on that. Sorry, uh, I don't mean it's not cow farts. I know it's, burps. it's burps. But the, only the better. first only the first gut of the ruminant produces methane. It's so cow farts is inaccurate. It's cow burps. I know. So so I anyway I put so I put out that tweet. I didn't think it was a bad tweet, but that was the start because me and Safe Dean we used to share you know, an interest in Liverpool Football Club and Bitcoin. We got on, I put out that tweet he yelled at me, blocked me. Uh, I might have called him a psychopath and compared him to the Nazis. He tried to cancel me, wrote to my sponsors. Like, we went Canceled. through this. Yeah, no, he did. We went through this cycle. He wrote to all my sponsors and, like, said, fucking stop sponsoring him. Like, this whole shit happened. But you know what? We shouldn't be enemies. Like, in these scenarios, I've put my hand out to save more than one occasion and said, look, we don't have to be friends, but we're in the same sphere. If we dis- If we agree, we can work on the same team and expand the uh, knowledge of Bitcoin and, you know, grow Bitcoin. And if we disagree, we can arrange the discussion so we try and find truth. But what I found, my issue I found with SAFE is that, like, when he's challenged, it comes down to insults or blocking people. And the problem, well, there's multiple problems with that. First problem I see with that is is that it creates this kind of, like, uh, uh, information bias. Yeah, it creates this closed cycle. It becomes influential for other people. But also, when I'm trying to get my friends into Bitcoin and they, like, they think people say, Oh, you have to read the Bitcoin standard. And then they follow me on Twitter and see all this crazy bullshit. It puts them off. I know for a fact it puts them off. And this isn't useful. Sorry. Eric Yakes, we I'm need to get that. We thing. need Eric Yakes' book. We, uh, Eric Yakes wrote this great fly swatting book called uh, <laughs> Bitcoin the Seventh Property. Actually, it's an amazing book. <laughs> but the point is on safe is like me and him have fallen out for whatever reason. 
and I will constantly say, safe, like if you want to bury the hatchet and like discuss these things, or like, let's try and find truth together. Let's just try and find truth. Like if you block yourself out from other arguments, like are you really finding truth? So I would host a discussion with you and safe. I would, would actually, I, I would agree the rules. Like we can agree the discussion topics up front. I can just do time management, but I want it to happen. I don't care if it's me or someone else, but it needs to happen. Yeah, you know, we need to get to this point where. Because the trajectory of where we're heading isn't great. And this is why the language is so important because something as simple as a choice of the word A, A climate crisis, is the indefinite article rather than the the, you know, the definite article. And if I, if we have to debate a proposition, that's the proposition. And so by choice of A, I only have to prove that a single climate on planet Earth is changing and that that is only due to human cause, right? And that's not a fun debate because, good thing, the paper that defines climate crisis lists 18 with, with extremely, and he has to know which one he has to be, and that's not which one I'm going to talk about as the, the A, any single climate crisis. And that's and so we're, we're in the talks about what the exact language is. Oh, look, I hope it happens. It needs <clears throat> to happen. Too. It needs to happen because It's on him at this point. Well, people are influential and voices are influential. And we know people out there who aren't smart enough because I've done this. We'll, we'll see something they, somebody they follow, say, somebody they respect, and then they'll start repeating that. I've had it. I've I've literally watched people say things, and then I read Alex Epstein's book, and they've just repeated what he said. Yeah. They haven't done the research; they've just said it, right? So we know this happens. Which we know if someone is, if someone in authority is writing something, which is false, other people are going to dis disseminate that, and that false information is going to spread. And we should all we should all care about the truth, the truth over being right. Now, what we do about and and that's where the key. You know, where I think the real valuable conversation is, is we, not debating the science because, again, I am a scientist and I can, I can back that shit up with fucking receipts. And that's not going to be a fun debate for anybody. What's the fun debate is what do we actually do about it? We should put about a tweet. See, we've made the show. Dan is winning. Dan. Nate is winning. There is a Dan Harmon. Dan Holman. Yeah, no, Dan Dan Harmon is a Rick and Morty baby. Yeah, yeah. And community, community, six seasons in a movie, it's fucking happening. Uh, Neil Berkeley, who directs my films, made a film about Dan Harmon. Uh, but I was also thinking of Dan Holman, who is the ex-Torquay striker, who our rivals, our Bedford rivals, uh, Northampton and Chenooks, have signed. He's playing up front for them. Why don't we just ask Alex if he wants to do it? Alex might do it. I think Alex well, would do it. Well, he's debating Jen Urso, um, uh, Margot. Is that actually nah, happening? that's not that's confirmed, happening. yeah. They're in talks. They're, it's, again, so I, I, I'm, a, I'm a good friend of, uh, of Jen, of yeah. Margot, and they're in talks. Again, it comes down to the language. They're having... The, Alex wants to talk about crazies, and Jin wants to have a realistic discussion about what we actually do about it. Yeah. And they're, they want to have two... At Bitcoin 2020, yeah. Uh, no, Pacific Bitcoin. At Pacific Bitcoin. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've offered it again to chair that one. Um, I'm, I think I'm rejected sometimes because people think I'm not impartial enough, which is a fair point because I, 
in the Bitcoin world, I'm not. I'm seen as a lefty moron. Yeah, but you're um, as a moderator. I mean, okay, look, I'm there's one thing. There's one thing about how, if the debates in 2016 were held by the Clinton Foundation or at Mar-a-Lago. That's one. Having it hosted by CNN and Fox or Fox, they can be, you know, independent. As a moderator, your job is to be a fucking independent, to be neutral. You don't have to have your bias. Your bias doesn't come into that. Yeah, but it does sometimes. Like, I tried to host a debate between Peter Schiff and Greg Foss, and it ended up being me and Greg Foss against Schiff. So, like, but that's the experience. You, you learn from these things. I can, but we should put out a tweet saying that Nate, Nate Harmon is willing to debate anyone with regards to climate change. We'll get the wording afterwards. I'll tweet it out. Let's just get the wording right. Well, climate change, as long as it's, uh, you know, capital... Again, he used un- undercase climate, undercase crisis. Cap- climate change, capital C, capital C, is a well-defined term that I will debate anyone on any Yeah, but it, it, like I say, that might not be the debate we want to have. Like, once this is done, we'll sit down, we'll write the tweet, we'll get it out there, and I, I, will, I will happily host it. I'll fly anywhere, fly anyone in, I'll cover the cost. We'll make it happen, because I think it should happen. It should. Like I say, the reason I had Alex Epstein on is someone I was really skeptical about, it's because I want to talk to the people I'm skeptical about, as well as the people I agree with, yeah. which is why I have libertarians on, people from the left, the right, everyone. Like, I'll talk to anyone. Me and my partner have, uh, you know, Michael, very different opinions on politics. I get, my, my both of my business partners have diametrically opposed, you know, but I can get along with fucking right. anybody. We, we, we will try and arrange that. couple of things. Firstly, to anyone listening to this, because I'll tell you what's going to happen is, it's going to go up on YouTube. And when it goes up on YouTube, there's going to be the comments. By the way, I don't read the comments anymore. <laughs> but the comments, I know what's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to insult you, insult me, disagree with us, parrot something, just like say we're Well, like then they're disagreeing stages. with abundant energy for everyone, which is what they claim to want. Okay, OTEC but, is that. But like, what would you say to anyone who is super skeptical of you and everything you said, who thinks Alex Epstein is or other people? Like, what would you say to those people? I want... Abundant energy for everyone. Society does not work without abundant energy. We have two different viable paths to do so. Mine is a little harder, but I think the benefits of OTEC outweigh the benefits, the drawbacks of fossil fuels. I think this is a better world for every... A world with OTEC is a better world for everyone and that's it. I mean, I want abundant energy. I want, there are a billion people living in the OTEC region that has OTEC available to them today, a billion human beings. And my only goal is to make sure that they can ha- experience the same industrialization that we in the developed world have gone through. You cannot do fossil fuels has had a hundred fucking years to bring these people energy and they have failed. Fossil fuels have failed at every occasion to bring the developing world into the industrialized world. OTEC can do that. All right, man. Well, listen, if people want to find out more, by the way, we, we're gonna we're gonna do this again. Uh, if people want to find out more, where do they find out more? You can follow me at Nate Hawaii or Michael at Michael Hawaii. Really easy. Uh, OceanBitEnergy.com. All right, man. Well, listen, this was a fantastic conversation. I feel like this is the springboard for some other things. 
Uh, I massively appreciate you. I'm really glad we met in Hawaii. I consider you a friend, and anything I can do, let me know. And we're not yeah. friends for the for the debate. Me and Peter don't know each other. Yeah. Uh, no, like, like, but like all the best with this. Keep going. I'm going to get you. myself some of this seabed uh, uh, manganese not nodules. Manganese nodules. <laughs> all right, man. Yeah. All right. Good luck. Keep crushing. Keep crushing, Michael. Aloha. Aloha. Okay. What did you make of that? Did you enjoy that? Well, thank you anyway for listening to what Bitcoin did. Um, that was like that was a hugely enjoyable interview. Uh, I think Nate is super interesting. I love him. I want to hang out with him more. I want to make more shows with him. I also want to see him debate some people on the other side of this climate debate. I know we've touched on this a lot recently, but I think it's a super important subject. We're literally talking about the fate of the planet. So it's kind of an important issue. So anyone wants to debate him, get in touch. Get in touch with Nate or come through me. I'm willing to help facilitate that. But also everything Nate is doing with his company, looking to harness the energy from the ocean, is super cool, super amazing. I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on this. Hopefully I'll get to go out to the middle of the ocean with him and see some of this crazy shit happen. But any, anyway, again, I hope you're all well. I hope you're all having a great week. Uh, I'm enjoying being back out in America, seeing some friends out in Austin and now here in Miami, but I am missing home. I'm missing Bedford. I'll be back there soon, but I will be going via Amsterdam for the Bitcoin conference. Hopefully, I'm going to see some of you there. Anyway, if you've got any questions, you want to reach out to me, my email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com, and I'll see you all later in the week.